Good morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Well, that was a night full of winning. The Utes, the Cougars, the Aggies, the Wildcats, the Jazz. Everybody won. For BYU, well, okay, they were playing a Portland team that hadn't won a conference game. So 105 to 60, if you're going to play a bad team, you might as well blow them out. And BYU blew them out. The Utes beat Arizona by 15, 73-58. Utah over 500 now, 8-7 and seven on the season. Still below 500 in the league at 5-6, and six, but uh, hey, back-to-back wins. And Utah State beats Fresno State 69-53. to 53. Let's listen to Aggie coach Craig Smith after they pick up the win on the road in Fresno. Craig Smith joining us on our post-game conversation again. A little bit of a rocky start in the first half. Uh, it seemed like there were moments where it looked like you guys were ready to run away and hide, and Fresno State would really back in. But you said they've got athletes, and they can do some things, and, and they kept it close there in the first half. Yeah, you got to give them a lot of credit. They're, they're very athletic, and Orlando Robinson is just a player, and he puts, like I said, we said, they put you in a lot of different positions, and it's almost like they have two teams, um, depending on who they have on the floor. I thought... Um, you know, I thought we showed a little bit of, uh, I don't maybe a little bit of rust not playing a game for eight days yeah. where we were just a little disjointed. I think part of that was was them uh, with the press. I thought, you know, we got up 5-0, and, they, and then they got their first basket, and they were pressing. And I thought we were not in attack mode and kind of got a stand-in, yeah. and, and we hadn't seen that for a little bit. And then uh, with about five minutes to go in the first half, then I thought we started attacking. We always want to attack the press. Like, we don't ever want to just – go and then pull it out now now it's a free press so um um i thought they got us standing around a little bit that way and kind of got us disjointed on offense and then the second and then the first half too um just defensive i thought we gave up some just easy basket i thought we lacked communication consistently um orlando robinson we did not want him going to the middle and he got to the middle a bunch in the last um 10 minutes or so of that first half, and he made a lot of good plays, reading the double team, dumping it down, or him scoring. Uh, uh, But just our communication, transition, number five gets it, and we have two guys run into Robinson, and nobody takes the ball, and he walks to the rim. And so um, we gave up seven points on offensive rebounds, and that was a big key. We knew they're they're number two in the league in offensive rebounding behind us. And then I thought we had like eight points we counted were just mindless plays by us, not yeah. communicating and not being sharp. And then, you know, at the start of the second half, uh, and we had foul trouble in that yeah, first half yeah. too. Raleigh had foul issues. Nimi had foul issues. Um, I think those were the two main guys. So um, then uh, the way we started out that second half, we really established Kata inside. Our guys were really looking for him. We ran a play for him right away. He got an easy one. Got the one on the, so- on the out of bounds mm-hmm. where it was a dunk. Um, out of the timeout and we really established him and when you do that the game becomes a lot simpler and so um, uh, I thought we played really good the second half and our bench was monstrous Um, our bench was just absolutely tremendous tonight and we needed it Robinson's held scoreless in the second half is that kind of the execution you were talking about the lack of the first half working for you in the second half yeah and we knew you know it's you know when you when you play these guys for the first time there's definitely a feeling out process that goes into it and you know with him like we said expect a lot of different guys to guard him and we you know Darius guard him Kata guarded him Bean guarded him and Fonz guarded him so all four of those guys guarded him and we had to kind of make some decisions on who we thought was best but i thought all of our guys did a pretty good job specifically the second half with our doubles and our positioning 
and we just played with a lot more urgency, and that was easy to see. And, you know, like we told the guy, when you communicate, when your mouths are going, that means your senses and your brain is working. You're telling yourself what to do, and just by nature, I think you work way harder um, in that scenario. So uh, our guys responded well. Um, and found a way to get the victory. Uh, one stat that I never in a million years thought I would ever see is, is Brock Miller 0 for 0 from 3. And I, I love the fact that they're, the guys are running him off the line and he's taking the two or three feet in and getting the floater and knocking it down. Brock's playing at a very – he's just playing really, really well. And it, 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 I could talk about, you know, what he's doing on the floor a lot, but what, what I'm so impressed with is just how his leadership and the way he's communicating – and the way he's talking to his guys and or, our, or his teammates, and um, he just says the right thing. And not that it's always just the you have to say the perfect thing. Yeah. But he's just been really on point with his message and what he's doing, and he's letting the game come to him, and it shows. I mean, it's hard to take him off the floor. I mean, you know, we played him essentially the whole second half, and just has a good look to you, and he puts the clamps down on guys. You know, number four hit, I think the one three, maybe early in the second half, and he just. You know, held him out. And, he, and number four has been Holland, I think his last name is. Yeah. Not Holland, that's 25. Ballard. Ballard, yeah. And he's been playing really well. So he just has a great look to him. He's so steady. And um, he's developed a little bit of a pull-up game, but he's not overdoing it. You know what I mean? He's just letting the game come to him, and, and that's exciting to see. Uh, when Kata leaves the game with two fouls, and the game was certainly in the balance at that point, I thought Trevin Dorius came in and – Hey, two for two from the free throw line, uh, got block shots, got good buckets, passed the ball really well, and then continued that good play in the second half. Another big night for him. Trevin's a very good player. Um, he's, I mean, he's just, you know, he's still young. He's a, he's a freshman. Well, he's a sophomore, but he gets that year back, so in a way yeah. it's like he's a freshman. And he, um, he's been playing, you know, Kata's a really good player, but Trevin just keeps on, like we see what he does every day in practice, and not all of our fans have been able to see that necessarily translate onto the floor consistently in games. and uh, But he's just doing what he does. He works so hard. He gets himself ready. He's a free. He's got a 38-inch vertical. He runs like a gazelle. The one play, I don't remember, we missed something. We kind of over-pursued an offensive rebound. And their big kid has, I don't know, a six, seven-foot um, foot lead in transition. And he just sprints them down and catches them by the other three-point line. It was yeah. just like – He's a freak athlete, and so he's got a bright future. I mean, um, I love the, uh, our situation with our big guys right yeah. now because, you know, in Trevin's physical and rugged, and how many shots did he race at the rim in that second half where he just kind of came where they had an advantage, and boom. And the other team doesn't know that yet either. They're used to seeing Kata in there doing that. Yeah. And so hopefully, you know, uh, Trevin will develop that reputation as well. Um, I don't know what you can say, what you can't say, but any updates on Demias? I think, I mean, <laughs> we'll see. I mean, I think we could have put him back in there if we needed to. Um, so I don't think it looks too severe, but I guess I don't know that 100% either. So I don't want to speak out of turn. But I did talk to him in the locker room, and I think I think he'll be okay. But just another five blocks tonight. Just Is that what he had? Yeah. You know, <laughs> He's just a monster. I talked to him. Um, uh, after the game, I just pulled him aside just right on the floor before, you know, some of the guys I think were already going back in the locker room. We just had a talk, and it was nothing like, you know, nothing bad or anything like that. I just said, man, the, the difference, you know, the way you played the first before you, I mean, that first 12 minutes of the second half, he just had that look in his eye. 
I yeah. mean, he just had that look where we've all seen, um, and he just took over. And, you know, certainly it helped to get him some easy touches with some sets because we didn't do a consistent job of finding him in that. For, like I said, the I thought some things we were just a bit disjointed. But our guys really looked inside, got him established, and he saw the ball go through the hole. And sometimes that gives you a little more juice on the other end of the floor um, to make some things happen. But when he has that look and when he plays like that, obviously it gives all of our guys a different level of confidence and raises that up. Yeah. And I think that's the key to being a really good player is when your best players do that, they give confidence to everybody else on the team. And Sam and Nimi are very different players, Sam Merrill, Merrill, of course. But when Sam was on the floor, there was just this different level of confidence. And I'm sure you go back to the history of all the Utah State greats. Like, that's what best players on, on really good teams do. Coach, congratulations, Big W tonight. Let's do it again on Saturday. You know, anytime. It's just such a different year. But winning on the road, it's not this. It's different yeah. with because obviously all the fans and whatnot. But you walk into this arena; it's a huge arena. I mean, we're in a hockey arena. Yeah. And it's just di- it, it's just different. It's just a weird vibe, isn't it? Yeah. Like, well, I mean, speaking of hockey, you people, like the penalty box we're in right here? Yeah, I like it. I was going to say. Um, it's a good thing we're on the right side of these plexiglasses or uh, in a restraining order, but uh, it definitely is there. I saw you during the game one time. I was like, oh, he's got quite the setup up yeah. there. And I promise it wasn't in the first half no, no. when I was concentrating. And maybe that was the problem. Well, we should have looked up into the plexiglass in the first half. Maybe it would have helped our team. Well, it's funny because Kata comes out for the opening tip and looks over, and he's, you can tell he starts laughing. He's like, what is going on? Well, it is. It's one of those deals. Like, I mean, we got you 15 rows up, but we don't want you spitting on the floor. Yeah, either. exactly. Hey, I'm, <laughs> I'm happy with it. No harm, no foul there. Hey, well, Coach, again, congratulations. <laughs> we'll right. do it again on uh, Saturday. Thanks, Scotty. There you go. Go Aggies. There's Craig Smith after the road win in Fresno. We got the best of the Jazz postgame show coming up later in this hour. But next, Chad Lewis, the former BYU Cougar, now working in BYU Athletic Administration. He played for Andy Reid in Philadelphia. It's like all of the Eagle Nation and Chief Nation together against, well, I guess Tom Brady. So all of Patriot and Buccaneer Nation. We'll talk with Chad Lewis about Andy Reid and the Super Bowl next. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Valentine's Day is not far away, and flowers make the perfect gift. Jimmy's Flowers, a longtime partner with The Zone, can make it easy by visiting them at jimmysflowers.com. Remember, Valentine's is on Sunday this year. Jimmy's Flowers, check them out at jimmysflowers.com. Time to welcome in Chad Lewis, former BYU and Philadelphia Eagle. Chad, good morning. Yo, what's up? It's always good to talk to you guys. What's up? (laughs) The Eagles and the Chiefs are up. Well, they're not the Eagles. Yeah, oh, come on. All the Eagles are on board with the Chiefs, right? It's the Eagles and the Chiefs in the Super Bowl versus the Bucks. Yeah, not only is it the Eagles and the Chiefs, but it's also the Bucks and Tom Brady. So 
It was the Bucks in our the Super Bowl in Jacksonville. It was Tom Brady <laughs> and the Patriots who got us. So um, that just means uh, it's more special. I mean, you're going up against the greatest quarterback in the history of the game, a guy who's now in his tenth Super Bowl. I've I played nine seasons in the NFL, <laughs> and he's going to ten Super Bowls. It's it's incredible. So yeah, this is a big game. It's really fun. With Andy Reid taking the Chiefs to the Super Bowl for the second time and what I think it's his third time, and obviously he's had incredible success in KC, there's a lot of stuff being written and said about him. And this past week here I've been trying to read as much as I can. One of the things that really caught my eye was his coaching style. And you obviously know him, played for him, and you've been around, and you can speak to different coaching styles. And the quote that really jumped out me jumped out at me. I think we all want to be treated a certain way. Uh, talking about how you know how would I want to be treated? And we think of coaches, Mike Ditka, screaming at guys on the sideline and all that stuff. <laughs> uh, what do you think of the coaching style that Andy Reid has? compared to all the different coaches. Now, you played for Lavelle Edwards, so it might actually be in the same type of style, but it seems that his style seems to work with these guys. That is absolutely right. That's, he, he learned his style and his culture from Lavelle. He honed it in with other coaches, especially Mike Holmgren at Green Bay. But that's what he's most comfortable with. When he says that, he means it. He lives it. That's who he is. That's why... Last year when he was getting ready to win that Super Bowl, you just felt like the entire NFL was happy for him, supportive, behind him. It was really cool. And because he lives it. I like people focusing on that part of his coaching ability because he's not a screamer. And he feels like he can get his point across just with every bit as much power as a screamer by doing it his way, and he can And the thing that hasn't been written that I think is every bit as important, something that you will see Sunday night, and it's it's that Andy and his wife Tammy are a package deal, just like Lavelle and Patty. You never saw Lavelle, we didn't, without Patty. She was there. She was present. Well, that's the same thing with Andy. He works unbelievable hours, but he has made this profession a package deal, so post-game interview, who's going to be right by his side? His greatest teammate and partner, Tammy. And that's the way he wants it. That's how he's created it. And that's where he draws his strength and power. And he's never lost that. He's never lost sight of it. He's 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 been able to make it work with Tammy right there with him. She, she would travel with us to games. Um, and she loves following him she loves being a supporter she jokes that she's the head coach of the head coach and I just have this ultimate respect for Andy because he's in this profession head coach in the NFL Super Bowl champ he's done it like Lavelle a package deal with his wife that's really cool you know People, I've I've never met Andy, but obviously lots of BYU people have. They all like him. They all respect him. They all seem fiercely loyal to him. But sometimes when you're in the presence of greatness. Okay, you have got to meet Andy Reid. What are we waiting for? Hey, <laughs> anytime, anytime. Oh, please. I'd, I'd love to. You've got the credentials. That gives you the authority to meet anyone you want on planet Earth. <laughs> Set up a time. You have to meet Andy. That, that'd be great. I'm, I'm 
totally, I'd love to talk to Andy Reid. There's a gazillion things to ask the guy. It's so interesting. But I think sometimes when greatness is right in front of you, it doesn't register because you literally know the person and they seem like any other person. Because at the end, we're all people, you know, no matter how successful you are at this, you know, very job with a lot of popularity and celebrity surrounding it. But he is, uh, he's going to be the 12th coach to coach in three Super Bowls. He's going to be the, if he wins, he'll be the seventh to go back to back. And next season, he should pass Curly Lambeau for uh, career wins and be fifth. I mean, we're talking about an all-time, all-timer. Only Belichick among active coaches will have anything like that for resume. This is incredible, but it feels like it doesn't get talked about enough. He is at the top of all these lists. One of the reasons it doesn't get talked about enough is he's not driving it. He's not a self-promoter. He's, he, he's grateful about life. He's grateful to have his job. He loves it. He's grateful that people think highly of him. But he's not going to be promoting either silently or behind the scenes his own you know, promotion. He's just, he's just a cool guy. He's down to earth. He's real. If you talk to any of his friends, they're like, that, that's his Andy. He's the best. Like He's, he's incredible. So um, order of business. You have got to get a one-on-one interview with Andy Reid. Whether you fly out there to Kansas City and do it or you do it on the radio, you, you've got – while he's still – in the present coaching, you got to interview him. He, he's the best. So, really, when we think of Andy Reid, is the only flaw of his that he's good friends with Kyle Whittingham? <laughs> he loves Kyle. I mean, he's loyal to his teammates. Um, he loves people. He loves people more than more than. He, he just loves people. He's not afraid of crossing boundaries or colors to reach out to people. He's, he's just true. I mean, and he would tell you he's got more flaws than he can shake a stick at. He does, he does not pretend like he's the greatest coach, the greatest person. He just is. He's, he's the best. So you look at this game, and the Chiefs trying to go back-to-back here, but they just lost their left tackle to an Achilles injury in the AFC title game. Is their O-line going to be able to handle the Bucks' front four? That's a great question. One of the reasons that Tom Brady chose the Bucks when he had um, you know, half the teams in the NFL to choose last year is because they had a Super Bowl-caliber defense. So you have a super. Now they are a Super Bowl caliber defense, and they've been wreaking havoc. Their front four can get pressure. What's been interesting with their playoff games against the Saints and um, is they put enormous pressure on the back end, but they haven't received any penalties. You saw them against Green Bay and the Saints, where they were they were passing and fearing, pulling receivers as the ball was coming, and there was no call made. If you can get away with that in the Super Bowl, you win. But if the refs call those, that neutralizes that great front four. And so it'll be interesting to see the combination of the calls on the back end and how, how much pressure the front four can give Mahomes. So, and now you got these tackles that are out. That's, those are big losses. But and always, always coached with a mentality that, hey, we're strong as a team. And when someone goes down, we don't make a big deal of it, even if it was Donovan and Coy Detmers stepped in. 
ripped the 49ers on Monday Night Football, and he dislocated his elbow in that game. And then A.J. Feely stepped in out of nowhere, and we went on a tear. We, we beat great teams, and I think he won about six games at the end of that year as the third-string quarterback. And Andy did not make a big deal of it in meetings. Personally, he just said, hey, we got good players. They're going to be fine. <laughs> and he's, he's able to inspire your team with confidence and get you thinking that I'm going to play better. I'm not going to do anything out of my out of my business. I'm going to do my job, but I'm going to do it to the best of my ability so I can help my my teammates. And that he fosters that culture. That's a special culture in the NFL. Yeah, you speak of that culture. To me, being around, I've been around a lot of pro teams, but. Most of my time, and as far as NFL goes, I've been around pro teams and other sports, uh, but certainly I've been around a ton of college teams. And the one thing that I've noticed is the players have to really buy in to what the coaching, the head coach and his staff are selling. And if they don't, it doesn't matter how great that coach is. If they don't buy into what he's saying and believe in it, then it seems like they're just not going to be good. How important is that? that these players, whatever the situation is, then the coaches say something that they believe that that's the truth. I would answer that with two things. Number one, you're exactly right. You have to buy in. A team creates enormous team chemistry by buying in. That's the first part. The second part is if you're buying into snake oil, it doesn't matter if you're all, like you could be completely heart and soul bought in. But if the product is a bunch of hocus-pocus BS, then it doesn't matter. So what is actually beneficial to the Chiefs is that what Coach Reed is sharing and promoting and teaching is legit. It's proven. It's, it's great team culture. So when people are all in and they're bought into what he's saying, it's legit. And that's why there's so much strength and power. That's why you have a coaching tree similar to Bill Walsh. He's been able to create a coaching culture where you have so many coaches, Ron Rivera's, I mean, like Steve Spagnuolo's. You can go down the line of great people who he's worked with who are now head coaches. Dave Coley, the new head coach of the Houston Texans. Those guys are products of Andy Reid and the way he's done it for years and that's gratifying as a former player. It's really cool to see. So Andy's awesome, but nobody's perfect. So if I had to go one thing, why is he running Mahomes on an option on third and one at midfield? I mean, at the one yard line for a playoff touchdown, maybe it's worth the risk. But third and one at midfield? Ah! Because <laughs> who thought he was going to do that? I don't know. I think he's nearly perfect because they're going into the Super Bowl with three BYU guys. You got Andy Reid. You got Danny Sorensen, and then you got the silent assassin Porter Ellett, who is Andy Reid's left-hand man. He lost his right arm in an accident when he was four years old. One of the greatest dudes around. So, if you got three BYU dudes going in the Super Bowl, then that's who I'm following. <laughs> All right. Speaking of BYU dudes, Cougars put together a pretty good season, but the objective is to have a good program, not to have a good season. Uh, what are you thinking as far as them? I don't know that they could sustain it to that level because they're going to lose an NFL quarterback, but how are they going to be able to keep it going at a high level? Yeah, great question. I love what happened this year. I love 
Kalani, not only as a former teammate of mine, but what he's done at BYU, the influence he's had on these guys, the way he coaches his style. He's, you can see each year he's getting more and more comfortable in his own skin as a coach, knowing what drives him. Um, I love the way that he and Tom Homo work together. This season was magical when everyone else, not everyone, when a great portion of the football world was ready to quit because of COVID. It was powerful to me to see Tom go over, around, under any obstacle, any nose. He didn't waste his time with dialogue with people who didn't want to play. He just said, let's keep finding people who are willing to play. And that relentless pursuit of a schedule and the relentless pursuit of doing it right, protecting guys with COVID, proving that we can do it appropriately, um, but still have a season. I think if Zach Wilson's going to be a, a top five pick in the NFL, he's got Tom and Kalani for the rest of his life to say, thank you for doing everything you could to give me an opportunity to have a season like that. Um I just thought it was remarkable. So where you go from here, you build off of this season. You build off of the confidence your your guys have. You build off of what's making you a good coach. I, I think what Kalani does really well is he focuses on his strengths. He doesn't try and be anyone else. And each year I feel like he's getting better at that. And when you do that, then you build a really strong culture and program and a confidence that you're doing it the right way. And it's been, it's been cool to watch, and I'm really pumped to see it go forward. Because next year, we have a tough schedule. We hope like crazy that things with COVID calm down enough that there's fans in the stands and sports are just meant to play in front of a live audience, a full live audience with, with adrenaline pumping, people screaming, um, that's what I'm hoping for. So we were discussing the um, transfer portal and how not five years ago, but even since two or three years ago, it's it's changed. The number of kids going there, the whole thing just seems to be accelerating. How is the portal going to change BYU football? How could it help the Cougars acquire players? How could it cost them players? What do you think the impact is going to be going forward? The impact will be enormous on every program. And uh, change is not only inevitable, we're living in the time of greatest change. This, this year taught us more about change than any other year in our lives. Can we adapt? Yeah. Do we have to adapt? Well, if you want to be successful, you do. And, or you could sit like an old broadcaster and talk about, walking to school in four feet of snow both ways, and no one wants to listen to that. That's bull crap. So the transfer portal's a big change. The people who can get most comfortable with how that works for them, the people that who can wisely select players that fit their program and their culture, there's a delicate balance in who you want to bring in and it takes wisdom, perspective, sometimes restraint. You're going to have your whole fan base clamoring for someone. If you know that someone doesn't fit your team for whatever reason, then you have to be strong enough and confident enough in 
your decision-making skills to stand on your own two feet. And so I really like and trust the way that Kalani operates and thinks. And I like his wisdom. I like how he's growing as a coach and a man. And um, it'll be cool to see how he, he works with, with Tom to use players that are coming into availability through the transfer portal to strengthen BYU's program. So you work in the BYU athletic department, and I know there's a big BYU fan who now owns the Jazz in Ryan Smith, and I'm assuming you've had some interaction with Mr. Smith. Can you tell us what you know about him? Ryan has been unbelievable for BYU publicly, privately. He's, he's a great asset to the program, to the players, to the coaches. He's made himself available. He had a really cool Zoom conference with our entire athletic department early on in the COVID and shared what he was learning running Qualtrics in a time of the greatest chaos. And he loves people. He loves sports. He specifically loves basketball and golf. And I think it's so cool that he's he is the owner of the Jazz to keep the Jazz here in Utah. He's he's dedicated and driven to be a champion. Um, you see his influence with Donovan and the other players. Like he is going to be the greatest supporter for them, and the, he's got a burning fire in his heart just like they do. It'll be really cool to see him win a championship here in Utah and. And I'm super grateful that he's been so cool to BYU. Not just him, but his whole family. They, And not just BYU, they support other schools. But I just am very grateful for his influence here and what he's done and, and what, he can, what he wants to keep doing. It's really cool. Well, Chad, we appreciate the time. Thanks for coming on. That was a lot of ground to cover right there. Transfer portal to a new jazz owner to Super Bowl to Andy Reid. I think you got it all. The only thing I didn't get was how grateful I am for Cougar Nation responding to our all-in campaign. Tom Homo let people know a couple months ago that because of COVID, we have a $20 million shortfall. He was very transparent and open and said, you know, Cougar Nation, if you love BYU sports, this is our time of greatest need. People have responded. They've they've donated almost $15 million. There's been 7,000 different individual donors give back. And I just want to say to all of them, we are so grateful for you, for caring. And just can't I just can't be more grateful. Thank you. Good to pare that down from 20 to 5 million. That's progress right there. That's progress, and yeah. it goes on. And just you know, some teams they haven't got the bottom yet. They're still in a free fall, and their free fall is enormous. Tom's goal was to staunch the bleeding, to stop the hemorrhaging, to get to a place where we knew we had a bottom, so we could start clawing back out and and get strong and move forward. And he's been remarkable with his communication through COVID. He's he's been relentless, reaching out to all of us as administrators, as coaches. He's been reaching out to players. When times are really tough, if you're a great communicator, then you can strengthen your team. He has certainly done that, and and I'm, it's been impressive to watch. I'm grateful for his leadership. Chad, thanks a lot. We appreciate it.
Yeah, hit it. Enjoy the Super Bowl, and we'll talk afterwards. And Dave, let's get you that interview with Tom, with uh, Andy Reid. I'm up for it. I'm up for it. Thanks, Chad. Peace. There's Chad Lewis, former Orem High and BYU great, now working in BYU Athletic Administration. When we come back, the best of the Jazz postgame show. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. So... BYU, Utah, Utah State, Weber State, everybody winning in the college ranks, and the Jazz win in Atlanta. Let's get to the best of the Jazz postgame show. It's your Jazz recap here on DJ and PK on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Jazz have won two in a row now. They beat the Hawks last night, 112-91, to behind 23 points from Jordan Clarkson coming in off the bench in 25 minutes. Jordan was 9 of 13 from the field, 5 of 8 from 3, 23 points, 7 rebounds. Bogdanovich had 21. Donovan Mitchell had 18 points, 5 assists, and uh, 3 rebounds. Uh, Rudy with a double-double, 11 points, and uh, 12 rebounds for him. Of course, the Hawks were short a bunch of guys, including Trey Young. Just could not keep pace uh, offensively uh, with the Jazz. They only shot 32.7% for the game, led by John Collins, who had 17. Kevin Herter had 16. Let's uh, let's get some postgame sound for you. Let's start with Jazz head coach, Quinn Snyder. We're going to start with Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Hey Q, it seemed like the Hawks were um, throwing a lot of pressure at you beyond the three-point line in the first half, and, and there was a little bit of uh, offensive stagnancy. What turned around for you in the second half beyond simply, you know, Mike Conley getting to play more than eight minutes? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I thought – I didn't think we ran as well as we need to in the first half. Um, and those are possessions that, you know, that we can build on um, that just get the ball moving, get everybody kind of touches and, and get more catch and shoot threes. We didn't finish at the rim real well in the first half either. I thought, um, you know, the second half was more of, you know, how we want to play. People are going to try to take things away. I didn't necessarily think the pressure bothered us as much as we just weren't, um, real precise and, you know, that can happen. You know, I, I like the fact that, that we figured it out a little more in the second half. Um, but there are times when people, you know, they're not going to leave people in the perimeter and, and we're going to have the rim. And that's what we want. We had more, you know, mid-range non-paint twos tonight than we've had in a while. And, you know, if that shot's the one we have to take, um, you know, I've got confidence in guys shooting it. But I also think the second half we started getting to the rim. Um, and I said again, you know, we started finishing at the rim too. Ben Anderson, KSLSports.com. Quinn, this season where there's such limited practice and, you know, shoot around even, how much is just having your own identity going into every game? It seems like you guys know what to expect from yourself. How much does that help as opposed to saying, hey, we need a game plan for Atlanta or Charlotte, et cetera? Well, you know, I, I think it helps. Um, there's no question about that when, you know, if you can make it, about what you do. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, one of the things that I think we, we have and we are 
is a team that's, you know, able to process a game plan and absorb it. So um, I think both are important, you know, the, 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 the former more important than the latter, as far as the team having an identity. But, you know, fortunately, I think for us, our guys have worked hard to, to make preparation part of that identity. Andy Larson, Salt Lake Tribune. Quinn, uh, they only shot 41% at the rim tonight. Uh, you know, how much do you think that was Rudy Gobert's impact versus how, you know, how did you like your team's interior defense? You know, I, th I thought we defended um, pretty consistently throughout the game. Um, you know, particularly when Rudy is contesting those shots at the rim. You know, that's when we need our, our guards to rebound. I think that was another thing that, that we improved on. Um, through the course of the game, but, you know, Rudy and favor are, you know, they do that. They're rim protectors. And, um, you know, I, I think our guys have done a good job of, you know, defending in front of them as well um, to not just rely on that. Cause sometimes, you know, the, the shots that are taken, even when they are, you know, contested, um, you know, can vary in difficulty as well. There you go. That's Quinn Snyder. His team won last night, 112 to 91 over the Atlanta Hawks in Atlanta. Let's uh, get some players for you. Let's start things off with Rudy Gobert. We'll get started with Tony Jones, the athletic. Uh, Rudy, when teams, um, you know, see you for a second and third time, now that you guys have seen a lot of teams for the first time and they try to take stuff away from you, what are some of the counters that you, that you can do like tonight, you know, when, you know, the Hawks really tried to take away what you guys do at the three-point line? Well, we got all the weapons. We we need to attack any type of coverage, any type of defense, you know, and uh, we're usually able to figure it out pretty quick once we see, you know, the way they want to play us. And uh, it's really on us, you know, when the, when the big is back, I know that, uh, you know, the guys going to get Mike, Donovan, Joe, they're going to get walk-up threes uh, because once I get I screen the guy, there's nobody behind to help. And, uh, you know, and at the same time, we can attack the rim and it's a two-on-one. So it's pretty, uh, you know, whatever they try to do, uh, we always find a way to just adapt and uh, keep getting what we want, which is, you know, uh, the rim and the threes. Kristen Kenny, Jazz TV. Hey, Rudy, it's easy to be complacent with how well you guys are doing, and especially when you can play teams that are maybe struggling or missing key pieces. What is allowing you to not be complacent night in and night out? I mean, it's, we got to play for a bigger purpose. You know, we know that uh, it's a long season. We know that, uh, you know, we want to win every single game, but at the same time, you know, the goal is ready to keep getting better. And, and, uh, and when it's playoff time, to be uh, to be the best Utah Jazz team that we can be. So we, you know, our goal is really to, you know, we we compete with ourselves. You know, we know that uh, we need our focus to be uh, at the highest level every single minute on the court, and uh, that's the mindset that we're trying to have. You know, we, want, we really want to have a champion mindset, and you know, it really starts with the you know the little habits of never being complacent, and uh, you know, uh, keep getting better every single time on the court. Andy Larson, Salt Lake Tribune. Rudy, that, that matchup with Capella and, and really kind of the whole Hawks, you guys locked down the paint. I'm curious, you know, when how did you see, what did you see from the guards defensively tonight in helping that and kind of where did you, your role kind of play in on that? I mean, Clint uh, is, uh, is having a great year, you know, and he's a great rebounder. So we, we know that uh, we needed the guards to 
to come help on those long rebounds, and especially when the bigs contest the shots or help the guards. You know, we really needed the guards to to come and help each other on the, on the rebound. And uh, you know, I think we did. Uh, I think we did. They did a great job tonight. And really, once again, that's the that's the mindset that we need to have. You know, know that uh, I got to know that when I go block a shot, uh, my guy is not going to get an offensive rebound and, and a putback. And you know, they did a great job. You know. Uh, doing that tonight. Ryan Miller, KSL. Hey, Rudy, I just want to know what you, what your thoughts are with the All-Star game potentially being played in Atlanta in a month, and do you think that's a good idea, a bad idea, and would you like to be involved? I mean, I think it's uh, it's good that we had, you know, there was a conversation. You know, I think, uh, you know, obviously it can be a good thing uh, for the fans, for the game of basketball. Uh for the finances, uh, you know, I think it's it's great for the game. At the same time, we all know, you know, there's uh, I mean, we 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 playing games in less times, and the only break that you know players and coaches are gonna have. So it's uh, I mean, it's good to have that conversation, you know. And I think uh, you know, I'd be uh, I would love to be part of it if I'm selected. But it's uh, it's good that we had that conversation for sure. Nicole, tab to Portes. Hi, Rudy. Congrats for the win. Thank you. You're welcome. How much impact had Jordan Clatson in the success of the team and the way he's, he's embraced his role? Chene would impact fantastico. Nuestra <laughs> equipo. Thank you. Last question, a follow-up from Kristen Kenny, Jazz TV. Hey, Rudy, uh, when Mike went out with foul trouble in the first half, right when he came back in at the, the start of the third, you could sense shift. It almost feels like that calmness and poise uh, he brings is so contagious. Can you speak to that? Do you guys feel that when Mike's on the floor, that, that calmness, that poise? I mean, that's, that's his experience. You know, when he's been in the league for 25 years, so, it, you know, he knows how to... Um, you know, control the pace and uh, and he can feel the game more than all of us. You know, so it's uh, I try to do my best to talk to him, to help him, to make sure he doesn't, you know, uh, commit, you know, more fouls. But, uh, you know, we really want to keep playing the game. And uh, I think he did a great job in the second half, you know, controlling that. That was Rudy Gobert. He had 11 points and 12 rebounds last night. Had a couple of assists and uh, two block shots as well. Let's now let you hear from Mike Conley. All right, we'll get started with Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Mike, obviously you had the the difficult first half with the three fouls in the first quarter, um, and then you pretty quickly turned it around in the third quarter. What enabled you to get going just as quickly as you did in the second half? Um, man, you know, that first half was rough. Uh, just never really got a good flow, never really, you know, got the ball, never really, like, just put any impact in the game, and um, I got to sit there and kind of watch and, and, and get ready for the third quarter. And I uh, knew that I was going to come out and be aggressive and, uh, you know, take command a little bit more and um, just look for opportunities to make plays. And, you know, I got out there and was able to do it. Chris and Kenny, Jazz TV. Hey, Mike, from our end, it looks like Jordan Clark Clarkson's motor is always on, always running around all over the floor. Do you feel that way on your end? Oh, for sure. Uh, for sure. You know, he's the guy that 
he pushes us all, you know, when he gets the ball, we just start running and uh, we don't know what he's going to do with it. He don't know who he's going to throw it to, when is he going to shoot it? You know, you just kind of let him play his game. And um, he's, he's been great for us so far this year. And, and, and we don't want him to be anybody else. Sarah Todd, Deseret News. Mike, obviously a win is a win. Um, but do you think that this year, maybe more than last season, I guess, in your experience with the Jazz, that you're kind of looking at things with a little bit more of a critical eye? Like you're looking at maybe things that went wrong in the game and you're you're not as happy with it just because you came out with a W? Yeah, you know, uh, you know, we're a team that's that's you know, we love to get our wins however we get them, but we're not a you know a team that, that doesn't hold each other accountable. We're a team that definitely looks at every single detail, every every small situation, and and you know, look at something for us to, to fix or a, a lesson to be learned. And um, tonight we had plenty of those plenty of those lessons, plenty of those times where we um, made mental errors, made mistakes, and. Um, did you know kind of lacked effort in certain situations? So uh, we'll definitely learn from it. We we just you know we're playing at a, a high enough level to be able to win the game, but um, we can't rely on that, and we know that. So we have to continue to to work. Ben Anderson, KSLSports.com. <laughs> Mike, going back to Eric's first question, finding that rhythm so quickly when you've had a bad start or you know foul, had foul trouble. Do, do you remember at what point that developed in your career? Is that something you've always been able to do? Just kind of you know, find rhythm when there wasn't any before? Yeah. Um, it took me a while to be able to, to do that. You know, when I was younger, it was, you know, if I start out like that, I might not shoot the ball the rest of the game just cause I'm, you know, just so caught up in thinking about foul trouble and thinking about not having the ball and not playing minutes, you know, just all that kind of going in your head. But, um, I've learned through the years, you know, having opportunities to be in that situation, uh, you know, just breathe it out, you know, take a minute, you know, take all those bad thoughts, throw them out, and, and start uh, start thinking about the good and the opportunities you have in front of you. So, you know, that's kind of what I just focused on was the third quarter and um, going out there and being aggressive. Last question, Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Mike, along those lines, uh, we asked Rudy about your third quarter, and he attributed your performance to the fact that uh, after 25 years in the NBA, you know what you're doing now. So I was just wondering if you would like to offer a rebuttal. He's off by about 11, but, um, you know, I would say that my, my time in the league definitely helped, you know, me not panicking or anything like that. I've been there, done that, but, you know, Rudy's been a big help to me, so I'm not going to bash him too much, man. He's been huge, uh, huge help in uh, progressing my, my play and the team's play. So he's still the man and, uh, you know, uh, he can say what he wants. That was Mike Conley at 11 points and four assists. Uh, he had a little foul trouble there in the first half. He talked about it, but certainly had a fine third quarter helping the Jazz uh, get that 20-point lead and really put uh, put the Hawks away. Let's wrap things up now and hear from Jordan Clarkson. All right, we'll get started with Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Hey, JC. I was just uh, wondering if you could tell us from your perspective kind of what the difference was in the second half from the first half tonight. Um. They were, they were throwing some uh, different things at us. Uh, we're going to start seeing teams do a, a lot of that um, in the first half. Uh, we was just kind of reading it out, feeling it out, I feel like. Uh, and then second half, uh, first half we kept defending. And second half, I feel like we, we started attacking defensively. 
uh, where we started getting out uh, in transition and, you know, getting our shots. Um, but a lot of teams are going to try to take things away from us, uh, a lot of catch-and-shoot opportunities, uh, stuff, and like, stuff like that. But uh, we're prepared, and um, we just keep trying to get better at that. Ryan Miller, KSL. Hey, JC, I wonder if you could just go into a little more detail on that. How do you adjust when teams kind of throw something different at you guys? Um, the biggest thing is um, that we've kind of preached and what's coaching and preaching on is, is getting the stops because um, that's just going to, you know, feel the offense. It's going to keep us getting uh, force and, and thrust on our offensive, uh, on our offensive end. Um, but, yeah, teams are – trying to get into us, um, switching out, pressuring us, uh, trying to be aggressive, trying to take away the threes just because, you know, we're getting a lot of attempts and getting a lot of uh, easy shots at that. Um, so we just got to keep doing it on that other end, uh, keep getting stops, making that offensive end uh, easier. And then when we run in offensive stuff, we just got to execute, make our cuts hard, uh, screen, um, and get each other open when that when that happens. Nicole, Tab Deportes. Hi, Jordan. Uh, congrats for the win. Do you have a great night tonight? So, oh, what yeah, motivated? Uh, sorry. <laughs> Do you have a great night tonight? So, what motivates you to embrace the position of six man? And if you have any player who inspire you to do it? Um. I mean, I've, I've kind of been in this role for, you know, the last couple of years of my career. Um, just coming here, uh, having this opportunity to play with a, a, a really good team, a uh, really good coach and a great system. Um, it's kind of, you know, helped me, you know, boost, uh, you know, my confidence and, and everything uh, that's going on. Um, but players I watched in this role was, uh, you know, it kind of made it cool for me with like Mono Ginobili. Um, another one I've watched a lot of and played with as well was uh, Lou Will, um, Jamal Crawford, all those guys that, you know, kind of came off the bench and had impacts. Um, you know, those are guys that I really watched, uh, you know, coming up in the league and as well as uh, when I was younger. That was Jordan Clarkson, 23 points, seven rebounds. He did it on 9 of 13 shooting in just 25 minutes of play. Jazz beat the Hawks last night, 112 to 91. They're now on the road tonight. They're in Charlotte to take on Gordon Hayward and the Hornets. That game will tip off at 6 o'clock. Pre-game coverage begins at 5. There's the best of the Jazz postgame show. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines. Stay with us. Hashtag Utah Jazz. Donovich left block on the six foot Goodwin bumps, backs, Hill kicks out, gives to Donovan, Donovan drives, Donovan gets in the lane, ball fakes, a lot of contact, fouled and finishes. Yang on a cut, brings Capella to him, finds Clarkson, left corner three, got it. First corner three of the night for the Jazz, Donovan is six of 17. Mid-range long two for Donovan is good. Utah Jazz win again, that's 13 out of 14. We take down the Atlanta Hawks, 112-91. We told you yesterday the Hawks were shorthanded, missing four guys. And then we found out before the game that Trey Young couldn't go either. So it was a spectacularly shorthanded Hawks team. Nonetheless, a 21-point win for the Jazz. And then they were up 17 going to the fourth quarter. So 
PK, we can nitpick, but they did what they had to do. I'm sure people wish they scored more than 45 points in the first half, but they were still up by eight at halftime. So even though the offense wasn't that good in the first half, uh, they had this one under control the whole way. No, I've got, I've got nothing to nitpick about. Clarkson leads the way with 23 and Bojan with 21, and the Jazz play again tonight. It's the Hornets. Gordon Hayward, 6 o'clock. This is one of those games that has moved back an hour. Uh, Zones coverage will start at 5 o'clock with the Utah Jazz game night pregame show. DJ and PK. Hashtag NBA. Draymond Green, Lob Oubre Jr. catches and flushes, was wide open off a screen. Simons on the far sideline, brings it up top. Swings it back to Mello. Three-pointer, got it! 22 for Carmelo Anthony, and Doc Rivers takes timeout. LeBron wanders into the lane. How about somebody picking him up? Because LeBron's going to go all the way and score easily. I have zero energy um, and zero excitement about an all-star game this year. Um, you know, I, I don't even understand why we're having an all-star game. Um, but it's the agreement that the Players Association and the league came about. We were told that we were not having an all-star game, so we had a, a nice little break, um, you know, five days from the 5th through the 10th. You know, an opportunity for me to kind of recalibrate for the second half of the season, my teammates as well. Then they, they throw an all-star game on us like this and, and just breaks that all the way up. So pretty much it kind of a slap in the face, man. You know, I'll, I'll be there if I'm selected. Um, but I'll be there physically, but not mentally. LeBron, that's the story after the game, not the fact that the Lakers were down 12 at halftime against the Nuggets. Allegedly, possibly a contender, a rematch of the Western Final, and they just blew him off the floor in the third quarter and then ran away some more in the fourth quarter and won 114-93. to Why are we having an all-star game, PK? I assume somebody thinks they're making money. Well, I mean, once the king speaks, <laughs> that's... There it is, man. I just have to comply. I'm not going to go against him. There you go. LeBron, a triple-double in that win, 27-10-10. and 10. You like to look at box scores and see who didn't, uh, who didn't come through or who did, what happened. And I think the thing that was uh, surprising here, the Lakers, seven guys in double figures, three of them off the bench. You don't have to see that kind of balance scoring out of them. We think of them as being top-heavy. And uh, both Jokic and Murray... Shot the ball poorly, and uh, Jokic ended up with 13 points. That's a very low number for him. Uh, it certainly is, and Jamal Murray, that's why I don't go back to what happened in the bubble because that, that was an anomaly with him. He's not that good. Uh, Jokic just didn't have it going on after earlier in the week, obviously, against the Jazz. If the Lakers play like this, like they did in the third quarter, and then the second half, the third quarter, was the quarter, obviously, watching the game, they're not going to be beat. They're going to win. What do they need, 16 playoff wins to win the title? They're going to get that if they play to this level that they did in the third quarter and put this kind of game together 16 times in the postseason. I think that's just the way it is. You just have to, if you're trying to compete against them and beat them, you have to find ways to make sure that that does not happen. Elsewhere in the NBA, Blazers beat the Sixers 121-105. to 105. Carmelo Anthony had 22 points. It's a big game for him. Well, Lillard didn't play, man, so you don't have Lillard McCollum and your big Nurkic, that guy there. He obviously isn't out. The Sixers didn't have Simmons, uh, but you would think that the Blazers would be more ravaged, giving up what they were losing as uh, far as injuries, but yet they still found a way to win. That's what's cool about it. 
Golden State Warriors, 147-116 to over the Mavs. That was just a, a one-game reprieve for the Mavs right there. Doncic and Porzingis with 27-25. But when you're giving up 147 points and the Warriors are shooting 51% from the three-point line, doesn't really matter if your star guys go for 25-27. and 27. I don't understand how Oubre had 40 points. That is so beyond what he's been able to do this season because he's been in trouble. They've been talking about getting rid of him. And then, wow, man, he has the game of his life. I would imagine that's his NBA career high. And really efficient. 14 of 21 shooting. 7 of of 10 from the three-point line. So, massive numbers for him. And the Rockets... Beat the Grizzlies. Yes, they traded Harden, but they haven't bottomed out, PK. They're not great. They're not what they were, but they've not bottomed out. And they win again. They pick up a 115-103 win, and they are back over 500 at 11-10 and 10 on the year. And without Old Depot, he didn't play. DJ and PK. Hashtag college basketball. College hoops, victory, victory, victory. Look at them win. Everybody's winning, PK. Cougars, the Utes, the Aggies, the Wildcats, piling up Ws. BYU is expected. Portland hasn't won a game in conference. 105-60, to a 45-point blowout for BYU. Now 15-4 and on the year. Did you watch yeah. any of that? Uh, <laughs> it's well, like, oh, look at that it, score. There it so went according games. to plan. Right. You know, we anticipated that uh, there was a lot of stuff to watch and that this would be the biggest blowout, and it was the biggest blowout. Utah beats Arizona 73-58, a 15-point win. Timmy Allen led the way with 18. They got the big lead, PK, and they made it stand up. Yeah, I like this win because nobody was really outrageous. You know, Tim Allen with his 18, he's capable of getting 18 just in any game. And then you got everybody else chipping in nobody went nuts like uh plumber did against uh, colorado last saturday and what i mean by that is this is the way that you can sustain a level of consistency have everybody do something and that's what they did arizona isn't a great team by any stretch and they've had some injuries that have taken guys out uh, but the utes played a solid game the blueprint that they put on display early last evening was something that can be sustained going forward and and that and that's what you want and then you know right now if they can do that well then most likely larry comes back and they've got uh, i don't know who's going to leave and whatnot we'll see what plays out at that point but they've got an opportunity to to reestablish themselves to a little bit and maybe i'm reading into just a couple of wins in a row but you're looking for positives, and, and those things, as I saw watching that game, flicking back and forth, was something that led me to believe, okay, they can finish halfway decent here. I think the key word in all of that was something they can sustain. It's sustainable. You know, Plumber's not going to come off the bench and give you 23 like he did at Colorado. It's great he did that one time, but if you get that one or two more times in a year, you'd be ecstatic. Whereas this, this you can do again and again. And Utah State beats Fresno State 69-53. 53 is rarely a winning number. The Aggie defense throttling the Bulldogs, who shot a miserable 37%. Uh, Also sustainable, PK. You you win with defense on the road. We can line up a bunch of ex-coaches here, and they'll all say the same thing, and it panned out for the Aggies. Can defense throttle, though? Defense throttled them. Really? I always think of offense throttling. I don't think of defense. I think of defense stifling, not throttling. Oh. 
Okay. Well, we can go stifling if you want. Throttled down, I guess. I don't know. Weber State outscored Montana State 96-88. Those two teams play again tomorrow at noon in Ogden. That game will be on KJAZ. And the Utes are off on the weekend. Cougars are off on the weekend. They will play Gonzaga on Monday. The Aggies will have a rematch with Fresno State. 8 o'clock on FS1. Scotty G will have the pregame show at 7.30 right here on The Zone. DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. Between high school, college, pro football, doing this for almost 30 years. Um, just so appreciative of all the different people who have helped me along the way. Uh, just so grateful for all the experiences that I had. What's crazy is I haven't seen Pat throw dots like this at practice. Like, he's been throwing crazy dots. Like, he, like he throw dots, but the dots he's been throwing in practice lately has been crazy. I ain't even going to count. You know, so, I mean, I'm pretty fired up, you know, so... You gotta wait and see, man. I gotta rub my hands together. I'm excited about that. That's Tyreek Hill. Thinks Patrick Mahomes has gone to another level. Darts. Would he be throwing? Darts. Cra- crazy darts. Darts. Oh, darts. I thought he was saying dots. I'm thinking he'd be throwing dots? I never heard that, but it's darts he'd be throwing. Tyreek Hill had 13 catches for 269 yards against the Bucks in the regular season. So if they're going to another level from that. Look out. I don't know. Well, he'd be catching darts then. Ooh, that got to hurt. You not catching if, darts? Not if you catch him right. Really? KC a field goal. Darts. KC a field goal favorite. Yeah, you let it go by and then you just catch the back end. Oh, Super okay. Got quick. it. Super quick. Yeah, makes oh, sense. You, you don't want that no, thing okay. stabbing you in the palm of the hand. Yeah, no, okay. Right. I understand now. Jim Mattress Mac Mackinville, a Houston furniture store owner who's known for making giant sports pets. He's placed the largest wager on this year's game so far. He bet $3.46 million on the Bucks and took three and a half points. If the Bucks win or just losing cover, he'll win $2.72 million. Somebody's got Why a lot of money, PK. <laughs> Why do they call him Mattress Mac? Uh, he owns a furniture store, so I assume they sell a lot of mattresses. It's a chain of stores in Texas. Okay, so he's Mac McElvain. Now, there's a guy, Mac McAnally, who's a big country songwriter. Huge. He's won many, many awards. So kind of reminds me of Mattress Mac, McElvale, and Mac McAnally. DJ and PK. Hashtag college football. Eliza Tuiaki is interviewed for the Montana State head coaching position. Reported by our own Yock. Confirming these reports, Yak? Yeah, Skyline Sports up there in Montana had it first, but I've talked to a few people who said he's, he is indeed in the mix. How big is the pool? Are they down to six to three? I, to... I heard it's five to seven right now. Okay. Jeff Fisher, the former Rams and Titans coach, is in on this one. BYU announced the hire of Kevin Clune as a defensive assistant on Kalani's staff. He'll coach linebackers. Some other uh, assignments were juggled. Tuaki's going to focus on interior linemen, assuming he doesn't go to Montana State. Preston Hadley will coach defensive ends and hybrids, and Ed Lamb will coach the safeties, and Gennaro Guilford stays with the corners. So there you go. Clemson boosted offensive coordinator Tony Elliott's annual salary to $2 million a year, giving the Tigers two of the highest-paid assistants in the country because the defensive coordinator, Brent Venables, 
Makes $2.4 million annually as the nation's highest paid assistant. It's a lot of cash, PK. If you're going to win, you better pay. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I saw this thing on uh, Twitter yesterday. The uh, top conferences uh, as far as uh, money. And no Pac-12 assistant was among the top 25 most paid according to USA Today. Now, that includes, uh, excludes, I should say, Stanford and SC as being private institutions. And so, you know, do you get what you pay for there? Because they don't have one among the top 25. That's a fair amount uh, to not have. So, you, you wonder, you know, they lose guys and how big of a deal that is. I mean, if you lose one once in a while, but if you lose a, he's lose them consistently over time, I think that's got to have an impact. If you don't have any of the top tier of assistant coaches, that would be a red flag. The highest paid tier, all the best guys are somewhere else. That's That's got to be a problem. Well, top 25 by conference, the SEC has 14 of them. The Big Ten has six. The Big 12 has three. And if my math is correct, that's a two left over for the ACC. Now, in that's in the top 25. In the top 50 pay, the Pac-12 has four of the top 50. A new federal bill introduced... You know, one last thing. I guess that's why they have a new commissioner, right? Because they would pay the money if they had it? I'm not sure about that. Really? Because I don't... I, yeah, I don't know that the... Pac-12 really is in it to win it to the level, certainly, of these other conferences. They don't really act like that's what their thing is. They're, they get off on being a comprehensive athletic conference. So the water polo wins the national championship, and then Bill Walton can talk about that. And the conference, conference of champions. champions because they win all those other ones, and they like to brag about being a comprehensive athletic program conference, which they are. There's no doubt about it. That's why Walton can say what he says, because they just clean up on all of those sports. But most fans don't give a rip about those sports. The people who care about those sports are the parents and family and friends of the participants. The rest of us, it doesn't really matter. Just don't even pay attention to it. And so you can put on 8,000 live events every single week, as Larry Scott used to love to talk about, on the Pac-12 network, well, if a Pac-12 network plays water polo and nobody sees it, does a Pac-12 water, water polo exist? You know, that type of thing, tree in a forest. So I don't know just because if they had the money, would they pay it? I can't answer that. A new federal bill introduced yesterday would make it illegal for the NCAA or other college sports associations, the NAI, I guess, to uh, place any restrictions on the type or size of endorsement deals that college athletes could sign in the future. It's the latest in a series of proposed national legislation that aims to help athletes make money and reform the multi-billion dollar college sports industry. The proposal is the only option to date that doesn't provide any means for Congress, the NCAA, or any other governing body to regulate what what products athletes can endorse. Teams could be setting up pipelines and making sure guys get paid while they're in school. Car dealers, come on down and bring your checkbooks. I would say to make sure they're getting paid some more while in school. That is probably a good way to phrase it. 
What is Trending is brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There is no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. Coming up next, we're talking Utah Jazz with David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz. And at 910, we are talking Super Bowl with Steve Young, former Cougar, former Niner, current ESPN NFL analyst. Steve Young at 910. David Locke, coming up next. Stay with us. DJ PK brought to you in part by Jerry Signer Cadillac right now. You can get up to $6,000 in purchase allowance on the XT lineup. Experience the luxury you deserve by booking a test drive today. David Locke is going to join us momentarily here. We'll talk a little jazz basketball with him. The Utah Jazz picking up another win. They beat Atlanta, beat them by 21. Trey Young sat out. They were missing several guys, but he's obviously the biggest star they were missing. And the Jazz cruised to victory, PK. Now, you were talking yesterday about their ability to win. I guess that whole conversation between you and I would have gone differently had we known Trey Young was out. Yes. When you heard that, you thought, oh boy. Yes. <laughs> They're going to win this. Absolutely, yeah. But can we reset that. that with Charlotte? What level of concern do you have going into the Charlotte game? I, I have a little more just because it's back-to-back. There's less prep time and all that stuff. But they're, they're playing nine guys so much that I, I don't think the back-to-back's going to wear them out that much. We're still pretty early in the year. Yeah, well, I think, uh, was it Mitchell and Bogdanovich are the only guys who played 30 minutes? I think Bogey was right on, and Mitchell was 32, and Mitchell's a young pup, so he ought to be able to run for days. And it, weren't, it wasn't like there were taxing minutes towards the end there they had that game in hand they did exactly what they needed to do you know I don't think anybody Clarkson had a nice game 23 points in in 25 minutes and that we've come to expect that from him and he never seems to run out of energy and he really doesn't even really play big minutes so the rest of them should be fine as far as that goes I mean you never know from game to game Charlotte, again, is one of these teams that can be dangerous. They've got some guys who could fill it up from time to time. Hayward can have a huge game. I don't know if he still has a grudge against the Jazz. Uh, He never really seemed to want to be here, and he got what he wanted, and it didn't work out. So uh, now he's getting what he wants, uh, all sorts of money. I mean, the guy, this is what's wrong with the NBA as far as I'm concerned financially. He is just going to make hundreds of millions of dollars, and he's not a caliber player who deserves to make hundreds of millions of dollars. He's a good player, no doubt about it. Uh, but he's getting all, not all the shots, but he's getting as many shots as he could possibly handle and getting as much cash as he could possibly mm-hmm. want. So in that way, he's a, he's a Hall of Famer when it comes to that. Old Robin and the kids are never going to have to work a day in their lives if they don't want to because uh, they've got every financial uh, concern taken care of for the rest of their lives, and good for them. It would be nice. I wouldn't know how it would be. None of us really would. Bars being on the floor, I mean, he's capable of going for 30, 35, 40. He's a decent player. I've always liked him as a player. Uh, the Jazz have more talent, uh, but on a given game, uh, who knows? So I think my my concern is probably the same with Trey Young, without Trey Young, than it, my concern dropped substantially. And, you know, back-to-back to an extent, traveling in a COVID world, who knows? Uh, with all that stuff going on. So, yeah, I share what you're saying. I expect they win. 
Charlotte, like Atlanta, 10 and 12 on the year. Uh, right. So just kind of, you know, and, and the whole home, they're on the road, this road trip. And Charlotte's another one of these teams. They're 5 and 6 at home. They're 5 and 6 away. You take the fans out of the equation, and there just isn't much to talk about there. And the, the Jazz are better, and they're doing a good job against these teams. I think the thing that's looming out there is you look at the standings, they have the best record. So, you know, are they a contender? And... Well, if you've got one of the three best records in the league, three teams separated by half a game, you have to say they're a contender. But then you look over at the way the Lakers dismantled the Nuggets in the third quarter, and you think, what does it mean to be the second, third, fourth, fifth best team in the league? How big is that gap? And we can run that by David Locke right now, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, joining us. His weekly interview brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team. David, good morning. Good morning. That was terrifying. What was? The Lakers' second half. Oh, right. So that brings us to the question. We've had this uh, t- this uh, <clears throat> ongoing conversation slash debate. Are the Jazz a contender? Well, based on the record and the standings, you got to say yes. They're one of the top three in the league, and it's three teams separated by a half game. But there's this notion that the Lakers are in cruise control, that they've got another gear for the playoffs. And when they're down 12 to the Nuggets at halftime, and they outscore them 37-17 in the third quarter, and then they pummel them again in the fourth quarter, it's like, well, how close are the contenders to the defending champ? So the first thing we have to realize is that game swings when Jokic gets his fourth foul, goes out of the game, and then they Isaiah Harkenstein plays. And so the Jazz don't have that drop that Denver has in their lineups because the Jazz second team is pretty solid. Um, that would be the one difference. Otherwise, I thought the Lakers looked amazing. I mean, just that was as good a performance as anyone's had all season long that I've seen by any team in an important game. Um, they're mammoth. I mean, you drive by Anthony Davis, you run into Marcus Ola. You drive by Marcus Ola, you run into Anthony Davis. Like they're mammoth. And then you got LeBron hovering. At, like I don't know what position at six foot nine. So, and I thought Denver was really playing pretty well at that point. I mean, they were moving the ball, skipping. It was a beautiful basketball game. Um, and it did. It went from ten one way to ten the other in just a blink of an eye. And then Denver kind of knocked on the door and huffed and puffed for a minute, and they took it back to thirteen. <laughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> Um, I mean, t- even Taylor Horton Tucker looked really good. I-, I just thought the Lakers looked amazing, and they get stops with that defense. They they run out the backside with their length. LeBron's outlet passing is absurd. Uh, I they they were awesome in that performance. So, to your question of are the Jazz a contender? I guess you got to answer to me: what percentage of a chance do you win to win the title? are you to be a contender? I mean, I think we have a chance to play in the Western Conference Finals, so to me, that's your contender. I actually think if you play in the Conference Semifinals, you're a contender. Um, You know, you're frankly one sprained ankle away from probably making the finals at that point. So I think you're a contender. So the Jazz are a contender. And as good as the Jazz have been, and they've been great, and I thought last night was, you know, against a really shorthanded team, but there were some impressive things the Jazz did last night. And they've been up, you know, mammoth amounts in every game. It's just not even close. Uh, But what I saw of the Lakers last night was different. Sure. I think if the Lakers are going to play at their best, then they're going to win it. It's just a question, can they play at their best in an individual thing? If you're playing them, it's four times, and then collectively it's 16 times. And so right. what what can happen there? And I don't know about the second round. The Jazz made that second round with Hayward that one year against the Warriors, and I don't think they were contenders. They got worked but I think this is a much better team. And at their best, can they beat the Lakers? I don't think that it's outrageous. Now, if the Lakers are at their best, 
Well, then it's going to be very difficult. You know, you look at some areas where the Lakers might be vulnerable. Uh, what do you think about rebounding? Because you look at just looking at the box score, Denver has 16 offensive boards and the Lakers have only seven. You know, maybe there's something there. Yeah, I mean, Denver crashes really, really hard on the glass, and the game is going toward offensive rebounding. We saw that last night. Atlanta was crashing. I mean, the data does not show that offensive rebounding leads to transition problems. But we also saw, you know, last night we did see LeBron with multiple outlet passes when they when Denver was crashing that they then sent Anthony Davis or Montrez Harrell on a streak. And they're just so big they can do that, right? Like, we can't send Rudy Gobert streaking out. Let's never get a rebound. Um, as good as Royce has been trying to battle, he's still six foot four. But the second guy on the Lakers is six eleven, and the third guy on the Lakers is six nine. The pure physical strength and athleticism and length of the Lakers and Clippers is concerning to me. Um, I just even if you look at the way Atlanta play, I mean we're really high. You know we're going to talk about this for four months. This is a great compliment to the Jazz that they're so good that this is what you're worrying about. Um, you know, you watch what Atlanta did last night. That's the new script. Like, that's what we're going to see here for a while on how to play the Jazz. You just can't let us shoot threes. Um, the Jazz adapted throughout the night beautifully and had an incredible, what, they scored 65, 68 points in the second half. Um, but that's going to be the script where you hug to the shooters and you make Rudy Gobert and the guard play two-on-two. Well, you know, Atlanta was doing it with a six-foot-tall guard and a decrepit Rajon Rondo. What happens when it's a six foot nine Nicholas Batum and a seven one Serge Ibaka guarding those two plays? You know what happens when it's, you know, I don't think they would, you know, Contavious Caldwell Pope, who I guess is six six, or I thought Kyle Kuzma's defense was amazing last night with a bunch of hustle plays, and it's you know Anthony Davis with a seven footer hovering. Um, I just think that that's the concern that I have is that we're we're going. That's what we're going to see is the Jazz are going to have to play two on two basketball. Um, probably on an open side a lot of the time, and just the length of the Lakers and Clippers can evaporate a lot of that space. So the one thing with the Lakers is no matter how well you play, you still have to be able to make shots. Now, if you get a bunch of transition layups, you know, a lot of guys are obviously going to score well. But they had seven guys in double figures, and you can go through other box scores with them, and their nights they have like three guys in double figures because after LeBron and AD, sometimes guys really struggle. Can the Jazz defend them and keep them in a half court? I, I guess we find this out later this month, or at least we get our first peek at it. Yeah, I mean, I think the issue, the, the, the way the Jazz beat both these two teams is three-point shooting. This is, this is why the way we're playing is so smart. Like, if we try to go, you know, this is the whole, like, you know, we're in a heavyweight fight, and we try to go sit in the middle of the ring and punch it out, we probably don't have what it takes. We're, we've got two six-one guards, and we're not the most athletic group in the world, and you know, we don't we don't have what it takes. But if we can go dance around Sugar Ray Leonard to Roberto Duran or Sugar Ray Leonard to Thomas Hearns, old references, but boxing's dead, so that's the last reference I can come up with, um, then I think we have a chance. And so in regards specifically to the Lakers, the Lakers' problem is I think, and I don't know what they finished last night shooting from three, but I think they've shot below 33% and a lot, like 9, 10, 12, 13 games. I mean, just a huge amount of games they're shooting below 33% from three. Well, okay, well, if you're taking 24 threes and you're only making, you know, seven of them or eight of them and we're taking 45 threes and making 20 of them or even 18 of them, then we win. The problem, I just don't – I think what we've seen last night from Atlanta, we saw it from New Orleans. Now, both times these two teams did this to the Jazz, by the way, 
the Jazz offensive rating going into the fourth quarter was a 120, which is astronomically high. League average is about 110. The Jazz sit at three or four in the league at 117. So 120 would be the best offense in, in the league. So it's not as though the Jazz, this is stopping the Jazz. I just think that the Lakers and Clippers can execute this better, and so then that advantage might go away. But, I mean, we're going to have to see. I mean, it's we're still, you know, we've got a long way to go, and there's a lot of things that can happen. And But, again, I would say that this is just a great compliment to the Jazz that we're sitting here worrying about the Lakers and Clippers at this level. I didn't think the Jazz would be this close to the Lakers and Clippers level when the year started. Um, and I will say, until last night, I thought the Clippers were the best team in the West, but I don't after watching that. I was wondering as far as the Denver game, you know, it was a couple heavyweights. You could say that, you know, it was Lennox Lewis versus Jer- Jersey Joe Walcott there. Nice, nice, <laughs> nice. Good. Wow. Get, why don't you get the George Clooney reference in there? That'd be good. Wow. I just called up a thing. 50 greatest heavyweight boxers of all time. <laughs> <laughs> You're awesome. You're totally awesome. <laughs> <laughs> to come up with a couple of uh, obscure references that I never. I mean, you couldn't have gone Rocky Marciano. You didn't go Rocky Marciano. Uh, you didn't I go Max Smelling. Yeah, I, mean, I thought yeah. Rocky. And on this list, Rocky Marciano's list number two, and obviously Muhammad Ali's number one. So no, I wanted to go a little more. Marciano obscure. never lost. How can you say anyone's better? I don't know what this list is. Sportsbible.com. You'd have to. That's my that. that's my one note of knowledge of history of boxing. Yeah, yeah I mean John L. Sullivan only ranked eleventh. I thought he should have been. Oh God, that's a travesty. All right. Is there a question in all of this? Yeah, did no, Denver show not. anything no, against the Jazz? <laughs> anything against the Jazz question. that would concern you? You know, no, the Denver the game right actually, hook that Jack Johnson threw. Yeah, that's right. No, I mean, I actually think that the Denver game. You know, when you go into the ring with someone, you're always yeah. vulnerable <laughs> to you know the one sucker right. punch that you know puts the lights out, right? Like that's the equivalent of what happened against Denver is that they had this unbelievable game. They, they shot, you know, Jokic had 47 and was brilliant. He was really pedestrian last night um, with a triple double, I think, but he was still pedestrian um, for him. And, uh, you know, and they hit eight for eight for three in the first quarter and 15 to 17 in the first half, which no one's ever done in the game. So the, the Denver game actually reconfirms to me how good the Jazz are that it took, you know, the one lucky punch to go get them. It didn't take it. There was no game plan. They weren't jab, jab, and then, you know, uppercut. They weren't working different parts of the ring. They just got one lucky punch. Your turn. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously that reminds you of Buster Douglas with the roundhouse. There's no doubt about that. Buster Douglas is not on that list because he is the Denver Nuggets in that house. So that's a nice work by you. <laughs> so the Jazz and the Hornets tonight, is there any uh, any angle here? Any Or is this like the Jazz have to come out? They have to do what they do, be professional and all that, and uh, play the nameless, faceless opponent, give me another cliche, and knock them out? No, I mean, I think LaMelo Ball is creative in the ring. And um, they've got some... And they're really, they're, I think, number one or two in the league in transition possessions. So if we don't start sharply and we end up, you know, we, we have had these kind of runs all year where, you know, we're, and I haven't checked the numbers recently, I'll have them updated for tonight, but where we're really, really, really good 
off of misses. So, you know, we get a miss with the number one team in transition and, and we're getting out and we're getting our threes in that way. And then we saw last night that if you get in the half court, someone can take away our threes. We had taken double digit corner threes, I think in 12 of the last 13 games and really took two last night. We took four for the record, but took two Brantley and Oni took both late. So I don't, you know, I think that we've, we've got to, if we're going to get that game going, we've got to get out and run. The problem is if we don't, get the game going they get out and run and they're pretty good you know they get out and run like that's they're not great at in transition but that's their game and so that's where i think the jazz have to be pretty careful playing it back into the back-to-back last night was a funky game you're probably not coming out of that game with a lot of rhythm to who you are and you're playing a charlotte team that does you know come and brings it at you pretty hard so i i think you could end up in a little trouble charlotte's won an inordinate amount of games for what their numbers are. Like, they're 20th in the league offensively, about 22nd defensively. Their differential's minus two. They should be five or six games below 500, and they're not. So I don't know whether that's that they've gotten lucky early in the season um, or whether they, you know, or whether they just have something about them that's winning some games that they, you wouldn't suspect that they win. So I, I think this will be, you know, a tough tough game. You're on a rest disadvantage, which is always a big, it's a far bigger issue than home road this year, since I think road teams are winning as much as home teams. And so that'll, that's, that's what you've got to look at is you've got to be sharp early offensively so that they can't run. So do you have any concern, because obviously this team is relying upon the three, that they have any form of prolonged collective shooting slump? No, if they start shooting badly, they should shoot more. There's too much data. They're, they're, these guys are four or five years worth of 40% three-point shooters. Just keep shooting. It'll come back right. Like, Boyan's a good example. Right? Like, yeah. Boyan started the year. He's what, what's Boyan now, 41%? I will have to so, check yeah. that for you. I do not have that number at my fingertips. And I think he is. After last night, I think he's at 41. He's just climbed it back up. So, my theory on that is if we start the night two for 14, make sure you get up 50 so that you can get your sample size right. <laughs> they're so good they don't have to have a conscience just let it rip you're that good yeah I mean I, the only thing it would be is if you're not taking like if you're taking bad shots but like let's be honest about the atrocity that we watched last night there were 61 non-restricted area twos last night okay 61 of them by the two teams it was awful Atlanta shot like 50% they were better off shooting 18% from three on those shots. Excuse me, Atlanta shot like 0.57 points per shot. They shot like 28%, 29% on those shots. So you're better off shooting like 16% from three. The Jazz weren't very good either. They shot 41% on their non-restricted area twos last night. Well, that's 0.82 points per shot. 0.82 points divided by three comes out to, you know, if you shoot 30% on threes, you're far more efficient. So, yeah, just keep jacking it. Like, those are better shots than what we get otherwise. The the little floaters, Clarkson's is okay, and Conley's been at 50%, though it's dropping a little bit. And, but some of the other shots we keep taking are just, you know, when teams early – and we, do it, we don't do it throughout the game. Like, it, it's, the, it, it's our group's instinct to go take those shots, and then the coaches kind of remind them that they're not very good shots, and it seems to me, and then we get away from it. That, that's what I see happening last night. How informative would it be for Jazz fans to have, and you can't really do it on radio because you can't see the shots, but on TV, to have a second feed where the only audio was a coach analyzing every single shot very simply. Good shot, bad shot. That'd be really interesting. Good shot, good shot, bad shot. Right. I mean, and it's really, that's such a, a difficult concept because the other thing that 
is relevant in there is Rudy Gobert takes a bunch of quote-unquote bad shots when you put them in just the caps of that possession. But Rudy Gobert also sprints the floor, sets 90 picks a night, and is allowed to take five or six bad shots a night. Like, that's what keeps him going. Now, I think, Rudy, I, I think we're, we're going to cross into something here. Rudy's inability to score over someone, which is his, you know, kind of last step in development, is going to be a problem uh, here pretty soon. Uh, teams are just going to force him to do it. They're, they're, they're going to hug the three-point shooter, and they're going to force him to defend. They're, they're going to force him to score over people on non-dunks, and I, and he's going to he's gonna have to do it. Okay, so I would say, and I actually, we were talking about this at Channel 2 watching the game in the second half last night. I think Joe drove and then gave him the ball, and there's a defender between Rudy and the hoop. And if Joe keeps going to the hoop and throws it off the glass, maybe it goes in, and if it doesn't, does Rudy go get it and dunk it anyway? I honestly think there's a better chance of force a shot that you don't love because you might make it because you're 6'9 and you're so close to the hoop and you just put it high off the glass. It's a pretty big target. And if you miss it, does that guy block Rudy out anyway? I mean, guys. I mean, Rudy, Rudy's offensive rebounding is leading to his dunks. The Jazz did something. The Jazz did two adjustments last night that are worth keeping an eye on if you want to be a little geeky on this. One is they started running the pick and roll on an empty side. So they moved, if they're going to hug the shooters, they moved all three shooters to the high left side. And Atlanta just stuck to all three shooters. It allowed for a two-on-two game, and they moved the pick and roll to the right side of the floor. So they were coming from an angle. And then that is how Conley got two of the dunks to Rudy. They, there was an angle change in what the Jazz were doing in pick and roll. So the, Jazz, you know, the coaching staff's brilliant and made some changes to be able to get Rudy those shots that he wasn't getting earlier. All right, David, we will let you go there. Do you have a Super Bowl pick or you don't care? You just uh, call the game, go home, break out the chips and the salsa, and uh, watch it. Um, I probably don't care, though. This house still has not forgiven the New England Patriots for stealing a Super Bowl at the goal line, and so Tom Brady is hated. And so I think I probably, if I want to get dinner, will root for the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, but I uh, – and Craig Bollerjack, you know, keep Craig happy. Yeah. Um, um, I would just, like, how many times has the lesser of the two quarterbacks won? So Mahomes is the better quarterback in this play. Like, if you just go through the Super Bowl and you just go through it and take the better quarterback, don't you win almost every Super Bowl? Correct? Uh, not everyone, but every you, win, you, you win a high percentage. You get your point. I mean, Brady's lost three Super Bowls in which he, everyone would say he's the better quarterback. So he's 6-3 six and, six okay. and three in Super Bowls. So. And who did he lose to? Eli Manning. So Twice. He's not, Twice to Manning and yeah. once to Nick Foles in Philadelphia. Yeah, so those would be exceptions to the rule. Yeah, yeah. so it's not a that's not a foolproof system, obviously. Thank you, David. Okay, see you, David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, joining us every week here on ninety-seven five at twelve eighty the Zone. Steve Young, ESPN and NFL analyst and former BYU and Niner quarterback, of course. He will be here at nine ten this morning talking Super Bowl and all things NFL. Could probably talk happy and unhappy quarterbacks with him as well, PK. He was quiet. He was really in the middle of it when he was a player. He saw some stuff. And now we see some unhappy quarterbacks around the NFL. We'll talk about all that with Steve coming up at 910, right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Number one. Make us your number one preset.
The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotty and the Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, the Zone continues to dominate the competition. Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, I want to remind you that Valentine's Day is not far away and flowers make the perfect gift. Jimmy's Flowers, a longtime partner with The Zone, can make it easy by visiting them at jimmysflowers.com. Remember, Valentine's is on Sunday this year. Jimmy's Flowers, visit them at jimmysflowers.com. All right, PK, the Jazz pick up another win. Ready to go back-to-back now with Charlotte tonight. We just heard from... David Locke, and you got any takeaways from that conversation aside from just some spectacularly uh, fabulous boxing references? Well, he usually likes to build up whoever the opponent is that the Jazz are playing, so sort of soften the blow if they should lose, but I'm not buying it. Jazz are a much better team, and even though it's still way early, I mean, we're not even at the halfway point, obviously. The calendar says we should be, but... This is an unusual year, obviously, and to me, we're still exciting part of it is that we're talking about keeping pace, and it's like we're in a pennant stretch. You know, the other team won, so now we got to win. Lakers won last night. Uh, Clippers, you know, whatever they're going to do. So it's something that we're going to look at. We're going to look at the. We're going to watch the Jazz game. It's what we do, and then we're going to be looking and monitoring the Lakers and Clippers, and we're going to be doing that hopefully for the next three or four months, and that's. That's something that's fun. That's a great position. I do agree with him on that as far as it's a compliment to the Jazz that it's something that we're intently watching the Lakers. We watch that third quarter and see them play against the Nuggets. And think, man, it's just beat us. And now the Lakers, man, that third quarter, man, they just turned it on. LeBron is just an athletic marvel. You know, he, to me, he, what Tom Brady has done at 43 is very, very impressive. Uh, what LeBron is doing at his age, I think he's 36 now, it's equally or more impressive uh, because it's just so no signs of any form of slippage whatsoever, at least that I can notice uh, to my untrained eye. I, to me, I could throw back to maybe he's not high flying and all, but that, that stuff is that's for show. Yep. You know, if you're if you're putting the ball in the basket and defending and doing all this stuff, I mean, it doesn't really matter if you're a high wire act or not. The result is the same, and so I can't really notice any difference. And so we're watching these things, and that is a compliment to the Jazz. I agree with what he's saying 100% there, in that we're all only just 21 games into it, but man, we got to win to keep pace. And that's a great, great position to be in. And right now you are keeping pace. And when it gets down to the time when you actually play, you've already played the Clippers once, and the next time you play them will be huge. Haven't played the Lakers yet, but that's going to be like the game of the year at that point, assuming everybody's healthy and can go. And something so it's so intense right now, just 20 games into a 70-game season, to me, I find that being fun. I think that when you watch LeBron, I don't think he has slipped. He's changed maybe the way he plays over time. It's just like subtle year to year. But you know, I haven't so, seen it. So much is made of slow mo Joe, and watch how LeBron plays. Like he's got a gear when he needs to go to, 
he flies, but he chooses when to go there. You know, he plays slow. He lets you make what make make whatever decision you want. Take away whatever you want, and he'll go left. He'll go right. He'll pull up and hit a three. He'll go all the way to the rim and dunk. He'll hit the mid range game. He'll take you into the post. And it's this. It's just uh, do whatever you want. I'll read it, and then you can't take away everything. And I've got whatever I need to beat you. Whatever you force me to do, I do it at a high level. So pick your poison. Well, I haven't and, seen that change in his entire time he's been in the league. I don't. I don't think he had that. Um, I think early on, it was go go go, a hundred miles an hour all the time, which is impressive because he's so freaking athletic. But the basketball IQ just keeps building, and now he's got he'll, he'll beat you at any speed he wants, and he can still go. He can still just. Uh, Locke was talking about their ability to get out on a break and blow by you, and he can do that. It's not that he's lost a gear because he hasn't. But he'll just slow it down in a half court, read it, and just slice and dice you. And I don't think he could do that early on. I guess I don't remember, but I don't think he had any weakness early on, and I don't think he has any weakness now. (laughs) February, what is it, uh, 17, I think, coming up in like two weeks? Today's the 5th. Yeah. I think there's a, a game coming up then with L.A. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. we got the question of the day. It's all about tonight's game. It's the Jazz, it's Hornets, it's Gordon Hayward. Have you let it go? We'll get to that next. Stay with us. The best blanket ever is also the best gift for Valentine's Day. Get 30% off right now in any regularly priced blankets with code word WELCOME30 at MinkyCouture.com. Take care of that Valentine's gift today by visiting a location near you in Ogden, Layton, Draper, Orem, Sugar House, or St. George. That's Minky Couture and Valentine's Day. Check them out at MinkyCouture.com. Question of the morning up on our Facebook page, DJ and PK. The Jazz played the Hornets and Gordon Hayward on Friday. Have you let it go? No. <laughs> You'll never let it go. You're from Jersey. Oh, it's Hayward. It's not me. You've let it go partially. No. Yes, you have. The reasons that bug me, I have not. Okay. No. So if it comes down to you don't like the way he left... You think if he was going to leave, he should have told the team in a minute after midnight because we are both thoroughly convinced that in his brain, he knew. And he, he knew a long time, a no lo- long time before July 1st. So he exactly. just should have told him, hey, right. I'm not doing it. You take your money and go get the guy you want because you're not getting me. And that that will always be the fly in the ointment, the thing he screwed up. As far as, oh, no, it hurt the team, you got over that a while ago. Correct. I mean, it's a, there's a lot of debates we can have about how things would have played out if he had stayed, but Bogdanovich isn't here. That, <laughs> that money, they wouldn't have had the money to go get Bogey because they'd have been paying Gordon. Sure, you can do any right. number of things. Exactly. There's a, multiple right paths. So I, I don't really want to hear about the basketball side of it. But if you'll always think, exactly. dude, you made him fly down on July 4th and beg and humiliate themselves. Mrs. Miller. You yeah. Had to have, well, you had, you, she had to do that? Yeah. What that was do? degrading. Right. That was absolutely degrading. You did not need to do that. You knew full well you weren't coming back. You wanted the bright lights. I don't wish him evil or uh, obviously I would never, ever wish injury. On anyone, I just don't, that's just wrong. I don't care enough about that on any result of any sporting event to want that. 
<clears throat> so that's not it at all. Uh, and he can go have have a great run. And whether he has a great run or not, he's going to be so freaking rich. He already is. So good on him for that. No, I think he wanted out, and he was going to leave. In my mind, there was no doubt he was going to leave. And, you know, the thank you Utah stupid letter that he wrote, it was condescending, and it was – he got bad advice, I assume, on that. And maybe I, I can cut him slack on that because – to quote Donovan Mitchell, at the end of the day, what is he, 26, 27 years old, and I'm supposed to have those guys be have all sorts of wisdom? Not really. I mean, they can't even run for president. So uh, they're kids, in a sense, and, and they're great ball players and all that, but they're still very young, and, and youth has its, uh, I guess, pitfalls, and wisdom sometimes isn't uh, on the top of the list. So I guess I can excuse that, but... He wanted out. So, and fine, you want out. You played by the rules. You did nothing wrong. Just tell him, I want the bright lights of Boston. I want all the glamour. I want to go. And I'd heard stuff at the All-Star game when he made the team. He wasn't treated the way he thought he should have been and all this stupid stuff that was uh, important to he and his family. Great. Go get it in Boston. Now, it didn't work out in Boston, but that's beside the point. As far as I'm concerned, I don't care whether it worked out or didn't work out in Boston. That has no bearing on anything that I feel. So it's not like I root for him to fail. But the very reasons that he did what he did, I still have a problem with. we got a lot of people uh, lining up here. Uh, Tyson says, absolutely. He's the only player who didn't disrespect the flag during the National Anthem. I think karma already even things out. Hate is too great of a burden to bear. Good luck, Hayward. Wait a second. He's I don't understand that. He didn't disrespect the flag. Tyson says he's absolutely let it go. He said he's the oh, only he player. Didn't dis- right. What do you mean he's the only? What does that mean? The only player for what? Uh, I assume NBA player. Maybe he means Celtic player. He it, doesn't really specify. The only but, player in the NBA who didn't disrespect the flag? No, there were other players who didn't take a knee. If that's the <laughs> thing what that is, bugs you, it, then it, there are other players who were standing. Oh, oh, is he talking about in the bubble? Is that what he's I, talking I about? Think, I think so. I don't know. He doesn't, he doesn't spell it out. You know, it's the, it's the pitfall of social media. People post what they post, and it's all clear to them, but whatever they don't spell out, the rest of us fill in the blanks and, and guess, and maybe we get it right, and maybe we don't. Oh, well, I mean, Jonathan Isaac did it, and he had the freaking answer for it, as if he was uh, a criminal. He had to answer for it. How could you explain yourself? Basically, how dare you, as a black man, stand? Isn't that what we had? One of the players. I mean, there was more than one player who stood. Why? But but it was Jonathan Isaac specifically. I don't know how many uh, non uh, or Caucasians or whatever uh, stood. But Jonathan Isaac had to ask, had to answer for that. He had to literally answer for it as if he stole something. Now, I know you're not going to get involved in that. That's not your thing. But for me, that was ridiculous. David says it's like when you date a crazy hot girl and it doesn't work out. Later you say, dodged a bullet there. Yeah, I don't think he was that hot. He's plenty good looking enough, but I I wouldn't call him crazy hot. If we're going to go, I don't particularly like that analogy because I don't think that matters. And I think that's demeaning to uh, people who try to live their best lives and for whatever reason we're not blessed or whatever you want to call it deemed, with I think crazy deemed, hot looks yes. deemed by society 
so I, I think that really, point yeah, he's trying to make, about that. even the point he's trying to make, even if you don't like the analogy, let's skip past that and go to the point he's trying to make is Gordon was good, and at the time he was the best young on-the-way-up player the Jazz had, but Gordon's ceiling versus where the team has gotten now are they better off that he did leave? Yes. Yeah, of course. They struck gold. It's funny how things work out, man. On that July 4th, oh, man, they built, they built, they built. They won a playoff series. Now it's just going to be destroyed. And then, no, it wasn't, man. And and you end up getting what you get. And kudos to those guys, Lindsey and his boys, who did what they did and and got Mitchell. And away they go. And they built this team. And we know how they built it. And they and Joe was ready to come into his own and uh, all this stuff going forward here. And here they are with the freaking best record in the league. <laughs> so obviously they overcame that. And they overcame it quickly, almost ver- metaphorically overnight in, in a way. So there's no question that the team is just absolute fine without Hayward. That's that's really not the point as far as I'm concerned. They they recovered and they recovered very, very nice. Everyone would agree with that. And Mar- so maybe they did dodge a bullet in that way. Margaret says, no, period. <laughs> Have you let it go? No, period. <laughs> Margaret, to the point. <laughs> no long explanation necessary. No, period. <laughs> Oh yeah, if you're a fan and he rejects you, hold a which grudge. Is what that was hold a grudge. I mean, it's, it's it, we're talking sports grudges here, so it's not real life. You know, I have I have no interaction with the man whatsoever. Uh, I, I'm completely and totally indifferent to what he does out on the floor because he can go ahead and average thirty points a game, Charlotte's but Jordan doesn't know how to run a franchise, yeah. and they're not going to win. John says, I feel sorry for Hayward. He could have had a statue here, possibly, if he had stayed. Now he just has money. See, I don't think he's that good. Right. Yeah, I don't think uh, people are putting up statues lightly. Maybe he could have added a number retired. That would be top shelf, which would be pretty cool. Well, around here, because it's a smaller market, I think they are a little loose with their number retirements. So he could have had it. He could have. Possibly, yeah. Possibly, and sure. That that's like I guess that's up to the individual. I would assume the individual would think, "Wow, this is a great honor to know that I meant this much to the franchise, and they they're going to go ahead and do this." I mean, I'd have to let the individual speak for himself, but I would think Jeff Hornacek and and Mark Eaton and. Guys who didn't make the Hall of Fame, guys who make the Hall of Fame, well, it's going to be understood that that's what you're going to get, right? And so the guys who didn't, to think that Mark Eaton's in the community, uh, somebody from The Athletic did a story on uh, Gobert, and I saw some snippets of it, and he was talking about how he he sees Mark Eaton. Gobert pointed out, Mark Eaton lives in the community. And I see him. He talks to me. He, we talk about basketball. I've been out to his restaurant, blah, blah, blah. So I would think for Mark, who's been an identifiable member, identifiable member of the community for many years, that's got to be a cool thing, especially for Mark, who was, 
you know, what, he was found under the hood of a car or something. Yeah. <laughs> and all that story that he had. You know, everybody's got a story to one degree or another. And Joe, he's, you know, when we know his story of thinking he's going to go back and play in the National or the uh, the Australian League and blah, blah, blah. And, well, Mark has a similar story. And he ends up with his number retired. I think that would be cool. And I, I wonder, too, you know, if these guys, when they're, when it's said and done, now it's not said and done for Gordon. He still has several years. If they, if how much, I don't know the answer to this. How much would it mean to them to play for one franchise your entire time and to be really identified with that particular franchise? Now, you look at Hayward going forward, he's going to play for at least three, right? But then you look at Shaq. Shaq bounced around himself. Uh, but does that really matter because he's identified as Shaq or is he the exception? So I don't know what the answer to that is. If you ask those guys when they were done, Hayward isn't that point yet. Would you have preferred you stayed with one and really built your legacy? Like Joe Ingles is going to do. Joe Ingles is not an all-star player, but it certainly looks like he's going to play his entire time here in Utah, and that'll be celebrated forever. Every time he comes back, I think it's that, going to be celebrated. I think there's one thing. It's the only place you play, but I don't think it's that different if you play the vast majority of your career and then go somewhere at the end. Mike Conley okay. will always be a Memphis Grizzly, and he will always be mm. revered in Memphis. I don't know about that. Really? Yeah, because right now he's playing on a team that has the best record in the league. So if they win a title, that nah, Memphis that would split will— it if I don't he does. know that— yeah, if he sp- Okay, if they win the title, then that will give him a chapter of his career in Utah. But I'm thinking of the guy who calls us from Memphis. Yeah, I was going to say, you we, know, it's just like, we still have people calling us about you him. You know, Carl played a year for the Lakers. Now they didn't win the title. If Nobody they won cares. the title, Right, exactly. He's a jazz but guy. But that's the exception. Okay, so then Shaq's— like 20 years with one team. Yeah. When, it's different when you leave in the middle of your career. I mean, Hayward left in his mid-20s. And so that's different than a guy who leaves in his 30s for, I don't know, one, two, or three years, whatever it turns out to be. You know, I don't know how long Conley's going to play. So this is at but least a lot of times those guys have no choice. They've got to leave. Right. Hornacek plays for three teams because he was traded twice. He yep. had no choice. Hayward had a choice there is the some, first time yeah, around. I think for a lot of the guys who did it, I don't know if they felt it when they were 26, but at the end of the career they felt it was special to be in one place their whole career. And I think the Jazz had John Stockton talk to Hayward about that one night after game. Hayward took forever to come out. And, hey, where were you? Oh, I was in back talking to John Stockton. <laughs> well, what could they have been talking about, you know, 15 or 20 games left in the season? Stockton was helping the Jazz make their pitch. Right. And Stockton, the thing about him is that he was a, a level of player that he could have played anywhere and had a legacy because he was just that good. Hayward, I don't know that he could have a legacy. He's not going to ha- he didn't have one in Boston obviously. No. He's just going to be a disappointing footnote. That's the reality of it. And some of it is attributed to the injury for sure, but also you've got in Charlotte. Well, he ain't going to do anything in Charlotte. Nobody ever does anything in Charlotte. He's just not that good. And somehow Jordan escapes. He's a great player, and he would bite your ear off to go with uh, Mike Tyson and Evander Holyfield. We're staying to the boxing, huh? It's yeah. lingering half an hour later. Nobody wants to – you criticize him with a, as a player, but yet, you know, that's, that's what you needed to do. Well, as, a, as an executive, he's awful. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it, man. It just hasn't worked. 
they're losing every year. It's no matter what they do, they lose. And so it's not going he's not going to build any legacy there. He's the type of player that to me it's like a Hornacek. Pretty good player and can really help you win. But isn't you know an elite level? Well, Jeff did make at least one All Star game, if not more. A great player, no doubt about it. But he's not you know considered the the upper level. But yet he's beloved in two cities down in Arizona and with us here in Utah, right? So he built a legacy, and people understand. Well, you left Phoenix. You didn't want to leave Phoenix. They made you leave, and you you know you. Probably, yeah, you loved it here in, in Utah and all that. So you could build a legacy. Whereas Hayward, he's when he's done, he's going to leave with millions, hundreds of millions of dollars. And outside of that, anything else? Hundreds of millions of dollars. Which I would love to leave with. <laughs> but no championship, if that's what you're getting at. Well, and, and not just, not no just Hall of that, Fame. but no, no legacy. Yeah. No lasting impact. Joe Ingles will leave with a lasting impact. Beloved, literally beloved, and has been for his work in the community, his willingness to come on our show for seven friggin' years, which is unfreaking heard of. Hmm. And he makes that commitment every week. He got a game, oh, we got games Thursday and Friday. Sorry, no, can't do it. No, I'll come on Wednesday on the day I got to travel across the country. And I got a family here, but yet I'm, I made the commitment. I'm, st- I'm going to do it. Remember, that's he looked me right in the eye once. He said, don't worry about it. I told you I'm going to do it. I will do it. And he, he's <laughs> I can't, I wasn't there for that, but I could just yeah. totally see your eyebrow going up like, really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. All right. right, but I'm I'm definitely going to keep track of this. <laughs> and I would keep track of it, and honestly, I think he's missed like three times in seven years or something, and I mean, just phenomenal. Oh, for phenomenal sure. Phenomenal yeah. commitment. Yeah. And just so he's going to go out of here, and when that time comes, and we're not here yet, he was joking about his retirement speech the other day because we were asking him when he set the uh, three-point record, and I was – he's not a – He's the one dude now because he's drummed it and beat it into my brain and yours too about not caring about personal stats, just only caring about winning. I fully believe him. I'm reluctant to believe that. I'm skeptical, but with him, absolutely believe it because he's preached it over and over again. So we weren't really – for me, I wasn't asking him about setting a record. I was asking him about leaving an impact. He's going to leave an impact. It's going to be a sad day. When he gets on that plane and is no longer a Utah resident, all of us, all of us, all jazz fans and us are going to feel sad. That It's like a, a, a kid, some of us have been in that situation, going away to school. It's sad. You're happy for him, but it's also sad. That's what it's going to be. Hayward will never experience that. I'm not a big enough person. I wasn't happy for him. I was just... A little bitter. 
Who? Who? And what? <laughs> when my son went away to school. I pouted oh, oh, for oh. a good long oh, while. Oh, oh, okay, okay, got you. I'll yes, you be were. happy for oh, you on, later. You no, you ain't the All moment, right. that very literal moment. But you can step back and think, this kid's a heck of a kid. And he's done a great job with his life. He's still got a long ways to go, obviously, just chronologically. But you're darn proud of him, and you're happy for him. But no, never, I, never underestimate my ability to mope and feel sorry for myself. I get Everyone that, has a but strength. that's natural. Everyone has a strength, and I like to go to my strength. That's and that, by definition, means you were happy for him. I suppose because if you <laughs> didn't give a crap or you wanted him out, you wouldn't have been moping. You would have been breaking out the Martinellis. I planned it. Yeah, I did not break out the Martinellis. Because you I, were sad. And I that planned, makes it bittersweet. By the way, next August and September, I'm going to be in a full-on pout mode, Yach. Just brace yourself for it. It is pouting. Moping. Well, I still got two and a half years. <sighs> well, enjoy the good times. Clock's ticking, Yach. You think you got a long way to go? How old are your kids? <laughs> How old Four are and two. I you better try. soak it up. Four and two? Hey, you think... You think that's 14 and 16 years? It's like two and a half weeks. Bam. Gone. Okay, then. Save I got it. a true, true story. The second one, I can still remember this. My wife's a teacher. Uh, I wasn't doing uh, morning radio at the time. That came a little later. First grade. Watching her walk in to the first grade, and then I had to go home to a house that was alone because I basically had them during the day when I was working for the watchdog. And I was so sad. And my neighbor, we had a kid the same. They were like two months apart in age. She was right there. She knew it. And about 15 minutes into me being home by myself, sobbing, she called me on the telephone, lived right across the street, still does, to make sure that I was okay. And that was first grade. <laughs> she was coming home at 3 o'clock. <laughs> exactly. But they're gone the whole day. And you're like, but but it's seven hours. Yeah. <laughs> I know, right? It first is, but, grade. Yeah. All right, DJ and PK. A couple old softies. What is wrong with us? Toughen up. Come on now. Ugh. All right. Back, baby. We got to talk Super Bowl with Steve Young. That's at nine ten. That'll cheer you up. Talk NFL. Should we talk BYU quarterbacks in the draft? What is Zach? Oh yeah, I want to. I want to know what he thinks of. Uh, yeah, uh, and what he thinks of Taysom. Yes, absolutely. We have tons to talk to Steve Young about. I hope he's planning on staying for an hour. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> he's not there. Right. We, we already know he's not. Yak already said originally before we got on the air and all this. Yak has to work on this stuff behind the scenes. And originally, this has been a multi-week effort to get. Oh this yeah, absolutely. In. Originally, he was supposed to come on at nine thirty, and now he's moved it up to nine ten. So he's not staying for the rest of the hour because clearly he has something to do, and that's why he moved the time of the interview. So nine ten, Steve will be here, and we will rapid fire hit him with as many. BYU quarterback NFL Super Bowl questions as is humanly possible. Although he's uh, he's got a little Steve Cleveland thing going on. We've had Steve on a couple times before, and he gives thorough answers. So we'll line him up, and we'll let Steve knock him down at nine ten right here on ninety seven five at twelve eighty the zone.
The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Executive Vice President of Basketball Operations for the Utah Jazz, Dennis Lindsay with us. Dennis, we thought you're going to be in a pretty good mood jumping on the show today. Your team's playing great. <laughs> yeah, they've come together and we're pleased with the results thus far. We've got a lot of work to do. We're only at the quarter pole, but uh, we've defended well. Got back to a previous Jazz level and Quinn has designed a really unique offense based upon spacing and shooting and sharing the ball and a guy's really believe in the system that Hughes developed. What we promise is we'll just continue to work hard and be humble and honest with ourselves, and hopefully we can make a good account for the season. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7, presented by Big O' Tires, the team you trust. On 97.5, 1280, The Zone, in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK in the morning brought to you by Mark Miller Subaru. So, PK, I take the question of the day. It goes up on Facebook. Usually, if you follow it, you already know this. And PK will put stuff up, sometimes right after the show, sometimes if something happens at, you know, 3 or 4 in the afternoon. And then a lot of times after uh, a game, whenever the big game is at night, this time of year it's jazz. You know, another time of year it might be Monday Night Football or whatever. And so he'll put it, he'll put it up. And then sometime during the show, I usually copy and paste it and put it on Twitter. And there's another audience there, and they'll grab it and run with it. And while you were talking the last segment, I posted it. So it's been up 20 minutes-ish, give or take. And wow, Twitter, did I chum the waters or what? Twitter has taken it and run with it. I click back on, and you know, notifications, they don't count after a while. They'll tell you you've got two or six or whatever. 20-plus. Uh, this one comes in from- <laughs> from Ryan, nobody ruins my 4th of July and gets forgiven. America! <laughs> uh, Marin Baumgartner is already like that one. That's right, you took down my 4th of July. Ruined my 2nd of July or my 5th of July, but don't ruin my 4th of July. There was fireworks and a barbecue. What are you doing? I was at the pool. Okay, that's by Marin. Yeah, well, Marin makes an excellent point. Why do you have to do it on the very holiday, man? (laughs) (laughs) Think about it. July 4th, that's one of the great American holidays, isn't it? I mean, everybody loves July 4th. Why would you have to announce it on July 4th? Didn't we have two of those in Durant? Didn't he do that uh, to go to the Warriors? And so he left the Oklahoma City folks high and dry. Uh, And then on July 4th of all days, couldn't you wait? Either do it. You knew you were going, so why not do it on the third? Why not do it on the fifth? So, Marin, I completely agree with you, man. That's a sacred day. That's like Christmas. That day should not be touched. Steven says, not until he admits that leaving Utah was the worst thing for his career. Okay, worst is pretty strong because he had a hideous injury. A hideous injury. Oh, for sure. But privately, he has admitted that it was a mistake. Now, he hasn't ranked it among his mistakes, and he hasn't done it publicly. So, Stephen, if you want to hold that against him, but I think throughout the, you know, the NBA is a very small universe, and there's a lot of communication. There's a lot of people who are friends who, because they have to further their career, they have to take a job and go somewhere else because that's how you get a promotion. And people have each other's cell phones, and they talk, and spouses can be involved, parents can be involved, agents can be involved. Uh, the Jazz are 100% sure, privately, and they will never. You could, you could get Dennis Lindsay on the air. You could never pry this out of him. But Dennis and Quinn and Jay-Z and whoever else, they know Gordon thinks that he blew it. That's not them judging. That's, that's Gordon's own um, 
reflecting on the decision. It's like, yeah, I botched that one. Yeah, but see, I don't need that, and I don't even want that. I do not wish this man evil at all. Not zero. Nothing. If he would have flourished in Boston, so be it. That's okay. because my displeasure has nothing to do with him going forward. The second he left, it was boxed in that departure. And once that was over, nothing good or bad do I really care about what he does with Boston and what he does with Charlotte and if it should be somebody else. Go ahead and have your success. You're a nice player. I suppose you would have success, and maybe it would have turned out differently if not for that gruesome injury basically five minutes into the first game to the point where players couldn't even look at it. They literally looked away. It was like they were sick to their stomach right out on the floor. So who's to say that that thing doesn't happen and everything is different? Maybe it was. So I'm not going to go down that road to where I'm wishing evil upon him on the floor. Absolutely not. Whatever happens, happens. So be it. My angst or displeasure was wrapped up in the manner in which he handled the departure. That's all. Could have told him. Could have told him in June. I am definitely gone. You'd made up your mind. There's plenty of evidence out there that he he full well knew in April, May, and June. There's actually a couple of early references. People think he even knew like the previous July or August. Yeah, certain guests we're not allowed to have on anymore. Yeah, so and yeah, fine. <laughs> I wasn't thinking of that, but yeah, that, that one was. I forgot. Table. I forgot about that. No, there was some tennis tournament he was in, and they invited him back, and he said, "Well, yeah, if I'm here," and people were like, hmm. What does that mean? See, that's the Jerry Sloan line when guys left. Well, they played by the rules that was set up, and so they did what they did, yeah. and they had every right to do that. And he did that, and and that's the beauty of America in a sense. You know, you can go live and work where you want to go live and work. Yep. And this is what he wanted to do. So be it. Fine. Go ahead. But don't make everybody but don't fly play down. games on yeah. the way out the door. Yeah, don't make everybody fly down to San Diego on July yeah. 3rd for a presentation. Not Mrs. Miller. No, open the no. door and... What are no. you doing here? I'm trying to lobby you to stay. Oh. Yeah, I mean, that, 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 that didn't need to happen. No. If you knew you were gone, gone. You play by the rules. Jerry Sloan, he never batted an eyelash on that. You want to go? Go. You're probably not going to be as good because I'm really good at what I do. <laughs> he never another, said that. There's another thing that was never said publicly. <laughs> but over time, those of us who had to report on it and pay attention were like, I don't know if you've noticed, but these guys, all, all their stats go down and they don't win as much. <laughs> yeah, right. So, I mean, Jerry had the just a Hall of Fame coach, man. He's a Hall of Fame coach. He'll always be a Hall of Fame coach. And he always was. And he put guys in the position to succeed because he knew what the crap he was doing. And so they want to leave, go ahead and leave. We'll get somebody else in here, and and if they do what I tell them to do and work their butts off, they too can be in that position. So Jerry just sort of rolled with it. So, hey, Gordon wanted to go. He played by the rules. That's the way the rules are set up. I mean, it's it's like what Kyle Whittingham said the other day on a Pac-12 network about the transfer portal. Transfer portal giveth, transfer portal taketh. And so <laughs> you're going to ride that one. I can already sense it. You like that one like resonated. Like, okay, that was pretty good, Kyle. Well, what are you going to do? Are you going to get worked up about it? Are you going to cry about it? it I mean, nobody cares. It doesn't, it doesn't change. Matter. It doesn't change it doesn't. anything. You wasted a lot of energy. And here's the thing. And you you got to you got to catch a, a Jerry Sloan 
uh, a Kyle Whittingham, uh, whoever, in the right moment. Um, but their days are really scheduled. And, like, you literally, I think Kyle would agree if you were on the phone right now, you literally, you don't have time to spend thinking about that because that time isn't going to help you win. you got to use that time to do something to help you win. Hey, go watch more film. Go, go build a relationship with a player who's in the program, you know. Go, go figure something out with go an assistant coach. Go recruit a better receiver. Go recruit, yeah. It's time to text another recruit uh, or a high school coach who's going to help you land a recruit or whoever. You know, that's just wasted energy, wasted time. So Thompson, he's out the door. All right, well, the program isn't going to stop. You're still going to play games. you got 12 of them set up for next season, and got to go ahead and do that, you know. There's a lot of wailing and gnashing of teeth when Ben Olsen left. You got Max Hall. Yeah. Max Hall ends up being the winningest quarterback, I believe. I think I'm right on this in BYU history. 30-some wins. Still the most wins ever. Yeah, he's playing with separated shoulders, and he's throwing long passes. The guy had all sorts of heart, which has led to uh, why he made that statement, because he was always competing, and he was a tough nut, man. He was so tough, and that's who he was. And uh, so you won a lot of ball games with him. So I I have zero – uh, thoughts negatively about what Gordon does now. Now, tonight I want him to throw up a bunch of bricks. Uh, but Charlotte's the perfect spot for him. So he can go shoot all he wants and score a bunch of points. No. But if you are if you don't want Gordon to get any acclaim, if that bugs you, then for you, Charlotte is a great spot because it is a, an NBA wasteland and has been – how long have they been there now since the team was reinstituted? 15 years. What have, what have they done in that time? Does anything come to mind? Uh, I think there's like three playoff series, and I think they were all one and done, and they, they got swept have, twice. They might have been in a game seven in the first round one time. They also Something. have the infamy of being the lowest win percentage of a team yeah. of all time. They had a six-win yeah. season. So, so, here, so here, here it is. Does it seem like they're Five. New Mexico State? Five years ago, they lost to the Heat in a seven-game series. Seven years ago, the Heat swept them. And back in 2010, the Magic swept them. They re-entered the league in 2004-5, the 2004-5 season. So that is, they're coming into the league, just to put that into local time frame. They're coming in the league, and Urban Meyer's here going undefeated in the fall of 2004. That's when they re-entered the league. They've been in three playoff series. They lost them all. They've won three playoff games. Well, Jordan is like LeBron. The national media doesn't want to touch him. He's an icon. He cannot be criticized. I mean, LeBron can say whatever he wants. But LeBron commits a foul, pushes Embiid. Embiid says he should should have been kicked out. Embiid's coach, Doc Rivers, he's not going to go against LeBron. (laughs) Oh, no, he's not a dirty player. He's LeBron. Can you imagine Doc Rivers if he would have come out and said, "What was LeBron doing? He's a dirt. That was a dirty play. He would have been crucified. Get, LeBron is untouchable. He's one of icon. our national heroes. He's a leader. He sets the agenda for us for this country practically, or one of them. No one's going to go against him. Somebody he, did because somebody had an All Star game, and whoever it was, they knew LeBron didn't want it. 
Somebody went against him. And Yach played that LeBron. LeBron went off in the postgame. And I, there's a backstory there. I want to know what it was. That didn't just happen. That's and not I a coincidence or a fluke. Somebody went PT, against LeBron. On PTI, if they bring it up in and around Bradley Beal's latest scoring that they somehow worked Washington Wizards into their stupid show every day, if they bring up the All-Star game, Will Bond is going to say, I agree with LeBron. I'd be shocked <laughs> if he disagreed. <laughs> what is LeBron thinking? Play the game. It's the showcase. The fans love it. What What are the chances of that happening? Come on. Let's let's have real conversation here. No All-Star game. I was just telling Yak in a break. Two All-Star breaks offset. One for half the league, one for the other half of the league. They should never give up those national TV windows. That's the most lucrative part of what they're doing right now. So whether it's ESPN Wednesday and Friday or TNT Tuesdays and Thursdays, even the NBA TV stuff, they should never, never go dark. Shut the league down for five days and give those dates up. Now, everybody gets an All-Star break, but everybody didn't get it at the same time. And the schedule makers can figure it out. You can have two halves or three pods or whatever you want to do. Everybody can get a break. Yeah, I don't care. But keep playing. I don't. I'm I can't not, believe the one game is that valuable. I'm not know. into it business wise. I I couldn't care less. I'm a fan. Well, you'd like it then because you'd have a game and they'd keep playing. Although, uh, fine, fine. But if you want to shut down for a week, fine. I'm not gonna, the All Star game. I, I don't, You'll be watching I have college no, basketball. No literal interest in that. I mean, if it's there, great. If it's not there. It doesn't really matter to me. I actually can uh, appreciate what LeBron is saying. Why bother to play it? Why ever bother to play it, for that matter? Don't ever play it. I would not lose sleep at all if they never played the game. If they want to play the game, play the game. So I don't have any problem with LeBron, what he's saying in this case. Don't play it. Play it. Doesn't matter to me. I'm more interested in the games that count. Not. I don't really care about things that don't count. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Stay with us. Steve Young's coming up at 910 right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Number one. The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotty and the big show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, The Zone continues to dominate the competition. Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK reminding you Valentine's Day is a week from Sunday. Flowers make the perfect gift. Jimmy's Flowers, longtime partner with The Zone, can make it easy by visiting them at jimmysflowers.com. Remember, Valentine's is on Sunday this year. Jimmy's Flowers at jimmysflowers.com. All right, PK. The response continues to come flooding in. Uh, Jazz play the Hornets and Gordon Hayward denied if you let it go and Josh says yep we're contenders now couldn't care less about the beef he's over it done okay, I like that we won like we're that. moving on uh, then there's stuff out of Anchorman with characters going nope <laughs> and uh, MJ laughing hilariously at some question looks like he's on a talk show I don't know if he's on with Oprah uh, or Ellen or somebody Oprah is it Oprah yeah, yeah. He's, he's laughing pretty hard um Mark, no, but I don't have as visceral reaction anymore because you know he plays for a whatever team. 
See, that's the thing. The Celtics is like, oh, he might win a championship and get a lot of credit. That would sting. Charlotte, ah, they're ten and twelve. They're Charlotte. They haven't won a playoff series in fifteen years. Eh. Right, you're in the league. You're making all sorts of money. Robin and the girls, Charlie, they're living the high life. Good on them. But basketball, nobody's really talking about him and what he's doing in Charlotte, right? The Big Cheese tweets at us. I got to ask my girls where Hayward shows up in Frozen, and the gif is uh, let it go, let it go, let it go. The song, so let it go. Even Frozen, even the kids' movies. Yeah, I don't have a problem letting it go as long as it's not an obsession and causes you to do things that you shouldn't be doing. But when the subject is brought up, does that bug you? And the answer is yes. What's wrong with that? Daniel says forgiveness is something that works both ways. The other person has to show remorse. Obviously, Hayward doesn't give a crap, so the answer is no. <laughs> Why does – oh, I guess maybe he asked if you're bugged by that. Okay, if you're bugged by his departure, uh, maybe – how do we know, though? How do we know he doesn't think, yeah, you know, I should have handled that better? Does he – is it a requirement for him to go on some form of public – social media and make it a statement? How do I know what's in the man's heart? I don't. I think that's where, you know, the back channel communication, the NBA, we were talking about this in the last segment, the NBA is a small world and there's lots of different ways to communicate and and the Jazz have gotten the back channel word that, you know, he's got his regrets. So I don't think... I don't think they sit around and think about it or obsess about it. If anything, what, maybe a game like this because they know they're going to see him on the court. You know? What is but, the regret, though? Regret? What the they so what think I've heard, he what, regrets? What I've heard is that um, he regrets g- going to Boston. He would have been better off staying in Utah. Does he regret specifically what happened on July 3rd and 4th? I don't, I don't have the answer to that. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. Maybe he's com- communicated to them, maybe he hasn't. I, I kind of think he has, judging by the way people talk, but they didn't want to go that deep into it. So, Okay, then that, <laughs> but, that's good. It's like the Darren like, Williams thing. He yeah. made peace, and it got out. Right. And he, he said that... He did his publicly. I mean, Darren was public about it. He did interviews. He sat in front of cameras on microphones and... He's been quoted multiple times. So that's that's different than Gordon. Mm. Well, it was way more egregious than Gordon, I think. Right. Well, I was just going to say, I can see where a fan would have a different deal because the back-channel stuff and the people in know, you know, management, coaches, teammates, all that, that's one thing. But publicly, if you're a fan, you've had a chance to see Darren say, oops, blew that. Well, Darren was much more public in the departure, too. I mean, that was profound. Yeah. Yep. The ramifications and consequences of that. Multiple, deep, right. There's basically no consequences as far as Hayward leaving relative to the team. And I can argue that the consequences, if there are any, were actually positive. Uh, So... It obviously freed up space for Donovan to have a more dominant role more quickly. I think it would have happened anyway, given his talent, but it certainly happened more quickly. And it definitely opened a a spot for a guy like Joe Ingles to have a much bigger role. And you can argue maybe that wouldn't have happened, you know, that he would have been stuck behind guys. And and he defers and, you know, swings the ball and makes the right pass and all that. Um, But there were more shots, you know, and there was a bigger role because Gordon left. Although I would have loved to have seen... Hayward play a second fiddle to Mitchell. <laughs> I really I, would. And I think that could have easily happened. 
I, I think. Well, I don't mean said, it as a negative by right. any stretch. You mean it as that the Jazz would be good if Hayward was their second best player? Yeah. Precisely, but yes. there would have been all kinds of fallout. You know, how would they have ever had the money to go get Bogdanovich? Well, okay. I think they wouldn't. <laughs> so they, they, they wouldn't have needed him, though. Right, Bogey would be playing somewhere else, and how good would the Jazz be? And at the end of the at the end of the day, PK, look at me you're in there. So, uh, at the end of the day, uh, we'd still be sitting here saying the Jazz are good. Hey, they're really. Really good. And did you see what the Lakers just did in the Nuggets in the third quarter? Because we can talk about contenders, but the thing about contenders, if you don't get it done, then you're just a team that lost at some point in the playoffs to the team that did get it done. Okay. In the moment you are. Right. in In the actual moment. But who's to say that your time isn't going to come? You know, Virginia is a team that lost as a one seed to a 16 seed. But Virginia is also the team that won it the next year. Sure. But I think the thing that is different this year, there's a couple things different with the Jazz this year than last year. Always two things. Yes. <laughs> and I don't have a third on this. I really am stuck at two. One, in previous years, you and I could sit here and we could both say they're good now and they got they should be better next year too. This is good and they're building towards something. This is the first time that I have to say, they're good now, but I don't know what they're going to be next year. This may be okay. the best shot. And so okay. this feels but it different. May not be. So a year ago, when you look at the Lakers and go, oh, I don't know how they're going to beat them. Now, it turns out they never even played them, so it didn't matter. They got knocked out by the Nuggets in the playoffs. But, you know, you still had that, hey, I'll get them next year. Well, now you got three guys in their 30s, and you got uh, a guy, you know, who's a real important piece of the puzzle who needs to sign another contract in the offseason, and maybe he'll sign it here, and maybe they will be better next year, and maybe he'll be gone, and somebody else who's over 30 will fall off, and they, you know, they have a pretty good run of health now. Who knows if they have that next year? Who knows if they have it at the well, end of this year? Well, then you be the one to doubt Jay-Z and Dennis Lindsay. <laughs> then that's, that's the same thing that ran right back full circle to Hayward. On July 4th, whenever that was, 2000, what was it, 16, 17, wherever, whenever it was. Oh, no. This franchise has spent all these years building. Now what? Now now it's fallen off, and they've taken a major step backward. Turns out, no, they didn't. So you're doing the same thing that we all did back then. You're doing it again now, thinking, oh, no, that Conley's a free agent. They're getting old. So this is it. Their, Their window is just this year, and the second that the season ends, that the final buzzer and if they're not holding up the trophy they're done no i'm not gonna say that that's ridiculous because i just how many times have i said that i just listed all the examples ben olsen left oh the cougars are doomed at quarterback no they're not how could you say that and here oh gordon hayward left the jazz are doomed no they're not so now i'm gonna do it again who's the fool here yuck Yuck, you fool. He can't be a fool on his birthday. Today's your birthday, Yuck. Dang it, I was going to get through the entire show. Stop. <laughs> grab your phone. Grab the app. Use the open no, mic. let's not do this. Sing happy birthday to Yuck in your... In, in they honor, say it's your birthday! In honor of Craig Bowlerjack, <laughs> sing it in your deepest, sexiest voice. Hit it, Yuck! Oh. Oh, PK. (laughs) (laughs) You took care of it. You're good. I don't know what that was, but it was something. And now, Yach, you have to play them. I command you, Yach. 
And so does Scott Gerard from Fresno. He is your vice president, and he commands you also. <laughs> I speak oh, for Scotty in this matter. Wow. Vice president. <laughs> Who's our vice president? You mean Kamala Harris? Of is the that, station, not of the country. Is it Kamala or Kamala? I never know which one. What is it? Depends on who you ask, I suppose. Yeah. All right, DJ and PK, we got to take a break. When we come back, Steve Young, we have Super Bowl questions. We have NFL quarterback questions. We have BYU quarterback questions. BYU in the draft questions. Oh, we have so many questions. Steve Young's coming up next on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The best blanket ever is also the best gift for Valentine's Day. Get 30% off right now on any regularly priced blankets with code word WELCOME30 at MinkyCouture.com. Take care of that Valentine's gift today by visiting a location near you in Ogden, Layton, Draper, Orem, Sugar House, or St. George. That's Minky Couture and Valentine's Day. Check them out at MinkyCouture.com. Steve Young scheduled to join us uh, momentarily. He'll be calling in, so we'll pop him on the air when he gets here. The former Niner quarterback, the former BYU quarterback. You see him now as an ESPN NFL analyst, and he's gotten into the world of high finance. Crushing it with the venture capitalists in the Bay Area. But still very much keeping his, uh, keeping his hand in the NFL with ESPN. And whenever you hear him talk about BYU, you can still hear the passion in his voice. You walk the halls. You know, that's funny. That's, that's going to become a generational thing, too, that defines you as old PK. Because <laughs> they're going to be this, the, the number of online classes is just going up and up and up. Well, when will walking the halls no longer be a thing? I don't. Th- I don't think it'll ever be obsolete. But I get your point. It has been for a number of years, and obviously the virus put it in high gear. But I still think we're going to have campuses, and they're going to be part of campus life. Because it would be a shame for the young people, not so much for graduate stuff, but for those of the traditional eighteen to twenty-two range. You know, they belong with the social interaction. So certainly I don't think it needs to go away entirely because hanging out in the student union or on the quad and all that stuff, that's an important part of it. The USIN. There it is. Everything was abbreviated. Couldn't say university center. That just took too long. I'm going to the USIN to get something to eat. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, every campus has got the, got the same situation. You know, it would be like for high school. You know, you don't want to do that either. I mean, I was talking to my sister yesterday who spent a long career in education, and she has her doctorate and all that stuff, and she's talking about how she feels sorry for the, the young folks who don't have the social interaction now in many places because of the circumstance. And, that, and they need that. That's very, very important. All right, we're going to talk football here with uh, Steve Young momentarily. The Super Bowl set for 4.30 Sunday afternoon, although the pregame will go on all day long. Usually networks sign on. I don't know when they are, but it's usually around like 10 in the morning. They've actually got Saturday night primetime stuff with uh, uh, two-hour shows there. The best Super Bowl commercials is one of them. So all Super Bowl all weekend long when you're not watching basketball, and uh, we'll be a little slow on that here because BYU's not playing this weekend. The Ute game got canceled, so... Jazz will be right, playing Sunday morning. You won't we've have got jazzy, jazz basketball to occupy my time. And Yep, Sunday morning. And, You'll have uh, the Aggies Saturday night in Fresno. So, All right, time to welcome in Steve Young, ESPN NFL analyst, the former BYU and 49er quarterback. Steve, good morning. Welcome back to morning, the show. Morning, guys. How are you? Good. How are you? Really good. we got a long, long list of questions for you. I'm ready. <laughs> okay. Uh, we got a lot of answers. Nice, I like it. Uh, I want to. I want to talk to you Super Bowl, but I know with ESPN you'll be talking some Super Bowl, and this is a chance to hear your take on some BYU stuff. And I'm curious, uh, 
when you look at Zach Wilson, what does he got the NFL loves? What does he have to do better to be successful when he gets out on the field in the NFL? Well, what he showed was, you know, if, if Patrick Mahomes is the king of 2021, and or really the 2020s, right, if you think about the NFL, that has become more college-like than ever, it's wide open, um, it's a lot less sophisticated because there's of the rules, because the players and coaches don't get together as much. It's much more like college. It's spring ball and a summer camp and and play ball. And uh, so for Zach, um, you know, he's going to be running the offenses that he played in college, and that's what's you know that's why Kyler Murray's got some success. Uh, even Lamar Jackson with the sophisticated running game. You know, the the NFL is just completely is just different. And uh, and so for Zach. Um, this, the, the challenge is just to get on a good team. It could be good coaching and, and help them out because every quarterback needs help. And you can't go somewhere where you're not going to get the help. And uh, that's always the struggle of trying to uh, being drafted high. Is can you get to a team that's decent, that uh, can show your talents? Because one thing about Zach uh, that everybody loves, and I think that's why he's, the, you know, people get more and more excited is you could see that the more they asked of him, the better he got. And that's the quality that, and, and, the, and the physical qualities that were much, much like Patrick Mahomes, with the arm strength, throw it anywhere, run around, and the presence. There's a sense that Zach, you know, um, Patrick is a guy that came into the league and maybe because of his dad playing pro ball, uh, baseball, it just didn't feel like he had a much of a transition to you know the, the anxiety that's usually there and the hurdles you have to go over. It's like he just was at peace. And he played completely. You know that's when you can get the full measure of who you are when you're at peace. And it usually takes a few years to get there. And Patrick was there right away. And Zach has that quality. It feels like it's from college, and the, and the physical talents um, put together is why people have gotten really excited. And in fact, you know, uh, some scouts, uh, you know, there's just no limit in their minds what he can do. Now, the challenge is, uh, what he, you know, if you said to me, what do you got to watch out for? Well, people have kind of clung on to this idea that, you know, all quarterbacks get to be captains. All quarterbacks kind of run the team. And Zach wasn't a captain. And so I tell people, well, you got to understand, at BYU got a lot of very mature return missionaries that are you know you know great leaders and, and you know it's not like you know, it's not it's, it's not necessarily a, a, a knock on Zach um, and Zach is young and young looking and so people sometimes feel like well how how much grit does he really have and, uh, stuff that you just there's no reason to think it but it's just we got to find something to talk about so for me Zach has very little downside right now and tremendous upside. On the other end of it, Steve, uh, with Zach being a protected high draft pick, an undrafted free agent who has a world of athletic ability just like yourself that you had is Taysom Hill, and we're assuming that Drew Brees is going to be done, maybe not, but nevertheless there's going to be a time that they're going to need a new quarterback in New Orleans. How do you view and analyze Taysom Hill as a potential starting quarterback in the NFL? Uh, I... <laughs> Taysom is such a unique player, but the game has come to Taysom. 
just as it's come to Kyler Murray and come to Lamar Jackson. And, like, the NFL has, like I said, it's changed so much. But the game has, has really made a space for Taysom Hill at quarterback. Now, the key is, as, as Taysom plays more, the thing he did this year was he started, played some quarterback, threw the ball well, and won some games. And that's, that's what you got to do. So there's no reason why the Saints can't turn to Taysom and say, look, let's, let's give you a crack at it. And it's going to be tough to replace Drew Brees because everybody will remember everything great that Drew, uh, Drew did, and they'll never remember what he didn't do. They'll think that he never threw an incompletion, he never threw an interception, he never lost a game. And so that's always, that's always tough. I went through it. And, uh, and so, so that's an extra challenge. But Taysom, to me, is ready for it. And uh, with a great coach, again, quarterbacks need help. And New Orleans certainly is a place where you're going to get that help. Steve Young joining us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're seeing a lot of drama all of a sudden uh, with quarterbacks in the NFL. Um, you were in San Francisco, obviously, as Joe Montana was getting late in his career, so you just referenced some of the drama there. How much of that do you see in Green Bay with what's going on with Aaron Rodgers, and how do you think that will play out? How should it play out? There's a lot of Aggie fans listening who are big uh, you know, big yeah. fans of the backup. Right. So uh, right now, no. There's no drama. It's just the drama of Aaron voicing his frustration, being gutted, by a loss that he really wanted and needed. Aaron's at a point now in his career where it's really Super Bowls and, you know, that's really it, which I understand, and that's good. That's good for the Packers, right? That's what you really want, and that's what really makes a difference. Uh, And so when he didn't get there, when they were at home, uh, you know, he voiced frustrations, and I'm sure there's some – Look, I, I've said for years I it felt like the Packers haven't supported Aaron uh, with the help that he needs. feels like if Aaron gets a little defense and a couple of guys, he can go anytime. And he just couldn't find it, couldn't get the protection, and just kind of and, – and I think Aaron has those – you know, he hears that and understands that, and, frust- and the frustrations will come out. Not that things aren't, you know, perfect. There's no nowhere that's perfect. And that's what Aaron also realizes, too. You know, a few days later, he calms down. Uh, he goes on, uh, what's his name, show, um, well, the old punter and, you know, his buddy. And he says, look, no, you're right. I'm fine. And I'm, I'm here. And like, There's no way that there's any problem with Aaron Rodgers playing in Green Bay and playing, unfortunately for Jordan, for a long time. The NFL is now safer quarterbacks friendly it's an unfair fight between offense and defense so for experienced athletic great quarterbacks like Aaron Rodgers you can play forever and so Tom Brady's proving that and uh and so Aaron can play till he's 43 he can and there's and so that's why for Jordan I mean it's just so you just don't know when you know the Packers can choose at any point I guess to force the issue but I don't see that Aaron Rodgers is, you know, the best or the second best or the third best or the not much worse than that player in the league. There's no, you know, if you're Jordan Love, you're you're just playing catch right now. There's nothing you can do about it, and it's not a really good spot. And the league is not built for you to be taking over for a quarterback that's getting old because getting old doesn't matter anymore. So that's a bummer.
Yeah, you talk about how a quarterback needs help, and certainly you and Joe had it in San Francisco. You had it on the field. You had it in the front office. You had it on the sidelines. And we go, we like to debate stuff in this season going into it, Brady or Belichick. And somehow we're going to draw a conclusion now that Brady's still playing in the Super Bowl and the Patriots didn't make the playoff. I don't really get into that stuff. I look at it that you have to have everything in concert as far as – the management, the coaching, and the players, and I think we're having that in KC. What is your take on this Brady-Belichick thing, and how important is it for everybody to be together? Uh, look, I mean, that's the bar fight stuff. It's not stuff that I'm not really interested in, but I will comment to say that every, everybody needs each other. Yeah, That's football. That's a fact. Tom cannot do it alone. Bill cannot do it alone. And uh, and I think what the Patriots realize more than anything is you really can't do it without a quarterback. You just, it's just not going to happen. And you can be the best coach, you can be the best owner, and you don't have a quarterback and you're finished. Um, I think quarterbacks have shown that they can do it with a good coach and maybe not the best owner, like or you know a, a good coach and a phenomenal quarterback. So quarterback to me is the guy in the field that has to be there. I mean, of, of, the, of those combinations that, of support, and I'm not just because I'm a quarterback. I just think that's the truth, um, and and uh, and so that's that's a fact too. But it's not like I care whether well it was it more Bill, was it more Tom, was it more Robert Kraft, or what? Like, look, it takes everybody. Move on. Like, I, and there's nothing more to really talk about. So Deshaun Watson, quarterbacks who've been as successful as he uh, as he is at the age he is at. Uh, they don't usually move. He seems dead set on it. They understandably don't want any part of giving him up, at least publicly. Is he sensing a problem in the front office and thinking this place is just critically, just completely flawed and i got to get out because i got no chance here? What, where do you think his beef really is, and how far is he going to push the envelope to make something happen? I don't know. There's something wrong down there. There's something, I mean, there's something amiss. And that's from an owner's perspective. Uh, I mean, thinking about ownership because the coach is gone now. There's something wrong with the coach. I mean, something was not. It was it was a miss. And I think when he saw DeAndre Hopkins leave, and you know, leaders leaving, and I know there's just there's there's elements of discord that quarterbacks smell. And then if you're smart, you say, look, what can I do about it, and what should I and I think that Sean is, is a, if there's five guys in the 2020s at quarterback, they're going to make a difference. He's one of them. So if the Texans are that dysfunctional and they can't literally hold on to the quarterback, because you can, the only way you lose a quarterback is if the quarterback's willing to either become toxic. Like Aaron Rodgers, if he wanted to poison the well and just tell everyone, I'm out of here and I hate this place and I hate the fans and I hate the Packers, you can force your way out. But it's such at such great cost that you know it just doesn't happen. And nor is the quarterback really willing to do that. Deshaun hasn't had to do that. He has the upper hand. He has the fans in his corner. That's how poorly the Texans have handled this. And it looks like he's going to be able to pull it off because he doesn't want to be there. And he has a you know he'd like to try somewhere else. And obviously the grass is always greener. We get that. But the fact that the Texans have fouled this up so much that the quarterback doesn't have to poison the well and become toxic to get out of town tells you about the Texans. 
So, and I don't know that this new coach has done much to really convince Deshaun that it's all going to get better. So, I, I, you know, it feels like that Deshaun Watson is going to be able to do something that not many people have been able to do. Let's get out of town without everybody getting upset. <laughs> You've mentioned Kyler Murray a couple times already, and I would put him and maybe Lamar Jackson into the same category as term these incredible athletes who like to run, and you were known as that yourself. How do you hone and mold those guys into being passers along with their incredible athletic ability? The key, even if the, the game has changed, quarterback is – wide open, there are too many first downs, there's too many touchdowns available to the quarterbacks who can run. It used to be the opposite, and now the prototype into the future is going to be, in fact, you have to. The idea that you're going to draft a Tom Brady or Peyton Manning, and that you're going to have them stand in one place, a Ben Roethlisberger, and play, and when I say stand in one place, is the guys are very not mobile. So you're going to play in the 2020s with, with a quarterback that can't move into the future, young quarterbacks, not going to happen. So the fact is, is that everybody's looking for a quarterback that can still throw you, that's still the game. You've got to be able to throw a sophisticated passing game at, at, the, at the NFL defenses, which is the problem with the Ravens. The Ravens, in my mind, are damning uh, Lamar Jackson from his development because they're so all-in with Lamar Jackson as a college player in a sophisticated running game. But yes, they can go and, and beat the rank and file in the NFL, but when they get against the best, you know, sophisticated running games are able to, you know, be taken down, where sophisticated passing games cannot, or at least it's much more difficult. And so Lamar, to me, that they have to change things in Baltimore to make a more sophisticated passing game and let Lamar grow into it. I just don't feel like the, the opportunities there. People say, well, Lamar Jackson's not a sophisticated passer. Well, what's the chicken or the egg? I mean, you gotta you got to be a sophisticated passing game to find out if you're a sophisticated passer. And uh, I appreciate what the Ravens have done in going all in with the college form of Lamar Jackson, but they've got to, they've got to, you can see it. I mean, I've been saying it for a couple of years and I, I think I've been proven right. Not that I know it any more than anybody else, but you've got to, they've got to change and they've got to, they've got to and give Lamar a chance to grow into that. Uh, as far as Kyler Murray, that offense is perfect for the 2020s and Kyler Murray, you know, there's no question that the size He's proven that that doesn't matter and that he can you know, continue to develop as a passer. That's the key for him. He's shown the ability to be more of a sophisticated passer, and that just needs to keep growing. And as long as he doesn't stall out, uh, Kyler could be a really great player as well. Steve Young joining us. Steve, you've already said you're not into some of these bar fight kind of arguments and all that, but there's one. More. Okay, good. <laughs> there's there's <laughs> one there's one around Andy Reid that I know you've heard and you're aware of. You know, ah, oh, he's a really good coach. He can't win the big one. Well, then he wins the big one. Now he's one game away from going back to back. So one of twelve coaches to go to three Super Bowls. He'd be the seventh coach to go back to back next year. He should pass Curly Lambeau and be the fifth winningest coach in NFL history. So how quickly does debate on Andy go from uh, he can't win the big one to this guy's one of the all time all timers? already there that's what happens when you win the big one it's just it's amazing and he deserves it and uh and what he's built in kansas city is very much to me like the girl golden state warriors have uh and really through their championships and and probably made hopefully in the future they've built a culture of selflessness amongst superstars that's unusual 
and that is why they're so difficult to beat. They say, oh, the plays they're calling or the, the, you know, the incredible talent. Yes, it's all wonderful. But the thing that makes them really tough to beat is what Andy's built and the culture of the place. And so that's becoming more and more appreciated is Andy's style and the way that he calls plays. He's going to be he's one of the more, he's the, you know, people say he's the most innovative guy in the league. Well, there's a couple, three, four guys that are most innovative when you talk about Sean Payton, Sean McVay, and Kyle, uh, um, Kyle Shanahan. Those are the guys to me that week to week are trying to do new things, pressing the envelope, um, uh, and, and really setting the tone for the future of the NFL. So Andy Reid, at his, you know, uh, he's been around a long time, but he he's so, you know, he's fresh, right? Everybody, he's doing things that no one else is doing, and he's doing it with players that are doing, cra- you know, crazy good things. So the Chiefs, you know, you think about Andy, he's not, it's not over. The 2020s are the decade of the Chiefs, and and until otherwise proven, like there's other teams that will challenge, but right now they're built to win and go back to back to back to back. I mean, it's hard to do. We get that. But Andy Reid's going to go. I mean, he's a Hall of Fame coach now. I mean, by the time he's done, you know, they'll be, I think they'll be talking about him as kind of one of the all time greats and Curly Lambeau and, you know, Bill Walsh and even Bill Belichick. I think Andy Reid's headed there. Steve Young, join us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Steve, we know you got to go here at the bottom of the hour, so we don't want to hold you too long. You have the open invitation. Anytime you want to come back, you know how to get a hold of us. Uh, if you have a minute to discuss BYU scheduling on the way out the door, feel free, or we can save it for the next visit. No, we do it. It's BYU. I, I just got to get Hang on a second. I got to take kids to school, so we'll just have a little transition to the car. But... Um, uh, BYU scheduling, I just, BYU did a phenomenal thing. I mean, every, it was a phenomenal year for BYU. Um, because of COVID, it was just so strange and difficult. But because of COVID, we were, we were the focus of the country for a little while. And because of Zach, in many ways, and his um, prolific play, it, it really reestablished for people's minds, the fans, the media, who BYU is, was, and where they're going to be. And so in that way, the expectations grew. That's not, you know, sometimes that's good, sometimes it's bad. But it's always good because as an independent, that's how you, that's a lifeblood. And, you know, ESPN always was a friend. And I know these guys and they talk about, you know, I talk to them about BYU all the time. BYU's a friend. They like them. They're friendly. You know, it's a good, good relationship. But in the end, it's, it's, programming it has to be exciting it has to be something that the people are asking for and this season was really important for developing that that you know kind of uh demand for byu football i mean the demand wasn't there for a while i think the demand is back now can we answer the bell can we get another quarterback to do you know great things can we continue to recruit even though we've struggled there um can we you know because we're scheduling is not i mean scheduling covid was a problem but scheduling is not our problem. We're going to be great play, great teams. It's going to be a really difficult schedule no matter what. Can we stand in now with the expectations that we built this year? And, um, uh, I mean, COVID was crazy. Um, I give Tom a lot of credit. I mean, tons of credit for putting his uh, schedule together and having some success. And I just don't – I think that scheduling for – if you're asking me scheduling, I don't think that's the problem. Scheduling, they're going to – as long as COVID doesn't keep around, stay around, we're gonna we're gonna play the best of the best, and we're gonna have a schedule that if we if we have a great quarterback and a and a great team, 
we're going to be in the mix for, for everything every year if we can beat our schedule. Our schedule is going to be tough. Well, we're going to let you go, Steve. We appreciate a few minutes and look forward to talking to you again whenever uh, whenever you want to give us a ring. Yeah, you free. guys are tough, man. I mean, they just like knock them down. I got to. <laughs> I got to. You guys are going to tell me I got to stretch out before I get on the phone. <laughs> nice. Get some flexibility. <laughs> and uh, I got to shout out to my boy Ryan uh, Ryan Smith and the Jazz. Let's go. It's nice. Good stuff. Excellent. Hey, are you going right. to be are you going to be at a golf tournament up here again next summer? I know golf tournaments took a hit this past year, but I remember uh, sitting down with you. We're going to try. We actually we had a social distance uh, little tournament um, uh, uh, this last. We did it in June. It was very small and, and difficult, but we did it up at Promontory, and it worked out just fine. And we'll, I'm sure we'll try to do it again with the proper protocols and so forth, but. Uh, we appreciate any support we get because that's that's our lifeblood, obviously, of, of our foundation. So we'll be there, I'm sure. All right. Well, uh, call the station and get us up there. That's what we do yeah, in the summer is broadcast there. live from golf tournaments. So. Oh, look at you. That's All our, right. That's our yeah, deal. I, I didn't know we were big enough, so now we know. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> oh, come good. Come on. That's good. <laughs> if, you look, if you look at my Twitter, uh, the, the, uh, the gif I put up to promote your appearance here this morning is uh, Plumber taking the monkey off your back. So, yeah, I, I think you're big enough. Oh, I hate that. <laughs> do you really? <laughs> Why do you hate that? Oh, well, because it didn't reflect how I felt. And this is, I'm sorry to hold you out, but let me just, let me just explain it. I, I felt that monkey in, uh, you know, that weight, the deadly weight. It felt like it was oppressive in 91. That's one of the years kind of I took over, and I was dying. It was a brutal year, and I, I did not handle it well. And it was, and, uh, but I had an experience, and I, I, I chronicled it in my little book that I wrote, but uh, with Steve Covey on a, on a plane that changed my life as far as that perspective. And it changed it, literally. And so 92 was a, just a different person, and I felt I was free of that weight uh, more so than I'd ever been. And so by 94, it just wasn't, you know, I, I almost, I just, I don't know why I said it. I don't know, it wasn't in my mind, it wasn't a thing. I guess I was so elated and excited that we'd won the Super Bowl. I, I did it, and, and, and Gary, I don't know, I just, it did, it's fine. It probably was perceptionally the right thing to do. For everyone who followed, but for me personally, I just like I don't I don't feel that anymore. So anyway, keep it up. It's fine. Put it the gif. Put the gif on there. It's good. I'll find another one. What's your favorite yeah, gif? Good. I like it. Like you know, it was true. Look, whether I thought there was or not, there was certainly a perception that there was. Yeah. I mean, look, I if think... I would have lost that Super Bowl, I I, I think it would have been hey Steve, you know, good luck. You know how how does how does uh. Vallejo, Sacramento, Auburn, <laughs> Rito, Elko, you know, on your way, on your way, big boy. We'll see you later. Winnemucca, hello. Oh, you didn't, and the fans loved it. <laughs> yeah, so it was great. So, anyway, you have a little more personal insight to my insanity. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, uh, All right. I'll get you. I'll, I'll put one out here for you. Here's you throwing a touchdown pass against the Cowboys. You'll like that one better. That's better. Oh yeah, right before the half, grab that one. That was that was the Tom Brady special from last week in the past, a couple weeks in the Packer game. Right before half. Did you? That was a killer. Did you that laugh when Brady said he was going to play past 45, or do you think he's going to do it? You're big on the NFL as a different league now. No, he can do it. The league is that's the league. I mean, Tom said it to me. Right, 
like you can't patrol the middle of the field anymore. No one can, the safeties can't launch. There's no, the middle of the field in the NFL in the old days, you, you just, you didn't, you, unless you really knew what you were doing and you had somebody that knew what they were doing, you didn't mess around in there. Now it's just wide open. Is it the flat? I could throw the flat. I could go 25 for 25 in the flat. You know? I mean, and, and again, no one can hit me. No, I mean, anytime that somebody hits me, they don't know how to. I can see the light defense line trying to figure out how to hit me. That's fair and I'm not going to get flagged. So there's, it's just, there's no reason unless your arm quits that you would, that you would stop playing. And by the way, not that it, like, at this point matters, but you're making $40 million a year. You know? <laughs> well, there is that. I mean, what's better than that? Working with, uh, working with investment bankers and that kind of stuff? Maybe that's better. You guys, obviously we've 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 started to rot here. We need to move on. <laughs> I got I got to get off this show because I can see that the questions at the bottom of your list are the ones I need to get out of. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll let you go, Steve. We appreciate it. Anytime, give us a shout. And you know, if you're craving a weekly appearance in Salt Lake to talk BYU football, we are your guys. Uh, we got to thank the great Jim Herman for putting and getting us together. Right? So okay, gotta... <laughs> Jim. Uh, Jim's hilarious. Uh, I had a great story from a meeting about Jim. The mayor of Salt Lake, let's be honest. There it is. All right, thanks, Steve. We appreciate it. Boys. Steve Young, former BYU quarterback, former Niner, Super Bowl winner, NFL MVP. You see him on ESPN. There it is. All right, DJ and PK, we are late to break. There were like 15 more questions for him, but what are you going to do? Thanks to Steve for uh, 25 solid minutes of football talk right there. DJ and PK, if you came in late on that, Yak, tell them where they can get that, where they can get their uh, get the podcast version of that interview. Yeah, wherever each podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, there's a million different providers out okay, there. Okay, so if you don't find it, that's a you problem, right? It's out there. And we'll also tweet it out as well. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. The Big Show show. with Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Executive Vice President of Basketball Operations for the Utah Jazz, Dennis Lindsay with us. Dennis, we thought you're going to be in a pretty good mood jumping on the show today. Your team's playing great. Yeah, they've come together and we're pleased with the results thus far. We've got a lot of work to do. We're only at the quarter pole, but uh, we've defended well. Got back to a previous Jazz level and Quinn has designed a really unique offense based upon spacing and shooting and sharing the ball when a guy's really believe in the system that Q's developed. What we promise is we'll just continue to work hard and be humble and honest with ourselves, and hopefully we can make a good account for the season. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7, presented by Big O' Tires, the team you trust on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Draymond Green, Lob Oubre Jr. catches and flushes, was wide open off the screen. Simons on the far sideline, brings it up top. Swings it back to Mello. Three-pointer. Got it. 22 for Carmelo Anthony, and Doc Rivers takes timeout. LeBron wanders into the lane. How about somebody picking him up? Because LeBron's going to go all the way and score easily. I have zero energy um, and zero excitement about an all-star game this year. Um, you know, I, I don't even understand why we're having an all-star game. Um, but it's the agreement that the Players Association and the league came about. We were told that we were not having an all-star game, so we had an a nice little break, um, you know, five days from the 5th to the 10th, you know, an opportunity for me to kind of recalibrate for the second half of the season, my teammates as well. Then they, they throw an all-star game on us like this and, and just breaks that all the way up. So pretty much a kind of a slap in the face, man. You know, I'll, I'll be there if I'm selected, um, but I'll be there physically, but not mentally. 
That's LeBron James after a really big uh, win. For the, I don't know. They're the defending champs. It's regular season. Maybe it's not a big win. But if you view the Nuggets as a contender, the way they dismantled the Nuggets in the second half and just completely dominated when they were down 12 at the half, it was really impressive. And we can talk about contenders. And, you know, the Lakers could have an injury and somebody else could win the title. We've seen that multiple times here in the last five or six years. Uh, but I think all of that gets set aside uh, because then he goes off on the All-Star game. and So the Players Association cut a deal. So I don't know if he's mad at Chris Paul or what or what the agreement was. Sounds like there's a backstory there, PK. Well, as far as the Lakers first, if uh, the Lakers are at their best, they are the best. Simple as that. It's the way it is. So we'll see if they can be at their best 16 times in the postseason, which is what is necessary to win the title, because if they are, they're going to win, and maybe they don't even need to be at their best. That's another variable, too, which will be uh, played out in the summer and look forward to that opportunity to watch that. The All-Star game, uh, you know, I can get where LeBron's coming from because we were told that there wasn't going to be. So in his mind, he's thinking, okay, push get myself ready to play this amount of games, and then I get a week off off my feet, go to the beach, do whatever it is I'm going to do, and then it got changed. Now, he's of the stature that he can get away with saying pretty much whatever he wants to say because he has that leverage, and he speaks for a lot of people, and a lot of people fall in line. Whatever he says, they take his gospel truth. And so if he feels this way, I don't have a problem with him voicing it. I personally couldn't care less whether there's one or there isn't one. It seems like under this situation, I get what he's saying because they're playing a condensed schedule, a lot of games, and maybe this time they need that time off a little bit more. And now you're asking, and it's going to see in Atlanta. Well, I don't know where the Lakers are going to be at that time. If it's going to be at home, well, then he's got to fly across the country. My guess is he's not punching in 24 hours earlier to make sure he's getting in the A boarding group. But still. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think with COVID, I think these guys will all be on private jets. They're not putting them on a commercial flight. <laughs> the A hey, boarding that's LeBron group. James. <laughs> LeBron, what are you doing in the B group? <laughs> I once Was the Uber from, late? What happened? <laughs> flying from Oakland to San Diego once uh, got on in the A group, and in the C group was the governor of California, Governor Brown, was literally in the C group. <laughs> He came on at the last group, and people were trying to shake his hand, and he's carrying his bags. He's like, I can't shake your hand, man. I'm carrying bags. (laughs) Saving taxpayer money. All right. Symbolic, but I like it. Yeah, and then the next night, actually, he did give a a speech that they had on the news because I went down for a long weekend, and we flew through Oakland. And so I saw him the next night. But I, I really don't have any problem with what LeBron is saying. But I also have no investment in it. It doesn't matter to me. Play the game, don't play the game. I'm more interested in who makes the team than the actual game. That's the thing. Make the team, hand out the bonuses. But it seems to me, and it's probably some angle I don't understand because, you know, it's about. I'm sure it's about the money. But it seems to me they could do better if the league kept playing games and 
offset the breaks for these teams so they could keep playing as many national TV games as possible because that's really where they're making the money. But for whatever reason, we're going to have a, a mini All-Star weekend. It won't be a real All-Star weekend. It'll be a game and a skills contest and in and out in 24 hours, apparently. Uh, the college hoops we talked about, BYU blew out Portland, winless Portland, just like they're supposed to. Portland's 0-8 in the league now. Uh, BYU won by 45. The Utes beat Arizona by 15, PK, and... Uh, Back-to-back wins in conference for the first time. And furthermore, a recipe they can use. Plummer's not going to give them 23 off the bench in the second half uh, to win very many more games this year. But the way they beat Arizona, maybe they can do that again. This was their most solid win of the season because this is a formula that you can use. They've got good players, and they need to start playing better consistently. So they took a nice step into it. And now going forward, uh, whatever it is, they don't play because the Devils got COVID, so they're not playing on Sunday. So they've got a whole bunch of time off. I mean, Larry sort of whined that time they had to play four games in a week. Well, I'm, I'm I guess, and he's not whining now that you got time off. So I mean, they, that's why I didn't really want to hear that you were whining that you played four games in one week and why you lost them. Big deal, because now you got on the other end of it. You got all this time off here, so all that stuff. I don't care about that. Just go win ball games. Utah's eight and seven overall, five and six in league. Aggies are fourteen and five and eleven and two after beating Fresno State. They held the Bulldogs to fifty-three points. That kind of defense is going to win a lot of games. They'll play again tomorrow night, eight o'clock on FS1. And Weber State will play at noon on KJS 14. They beat Montana State 96-88. They got a rematch there Saturday afternoon. The Utes and Cougars will be off this weekend. Jazz are going to play Sunday morning at 11 in Indiana. They got the game tonight with Charlotte and Gordon Hayward, 5 o'clock for the pregame show, 6 o'clock for the tip here on The Zone. Coming up next, your feedback. Getting a lot of reaction. Gordon Hayward, have you let it go? And we'll get to that next. Stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Yuck. This is the Terminator. I just have something to say to you on your birthday. Yuckity yuck. Don't talk back. <laughs> Happy birthday, Jake. <laughs> Thank you. Time for your feedback. You've been uh, you've been tweeting at us all morning long, getting a lot of Gordon Hayward tweets. Are you over it? Have you let it go? Jazz playing Hayward and the Hornets tonight. Keep calm and wash your bleeping hands, says Gordon Hayward. Ah, pretending not to know. That means it's stuck, PK. It still bugs him. Uh, I agree with that, yeah. Uh, then Mario, longtime listener, tweets at us quite a bit. Just uh, There's the question, have you let it go? And he tweets back a gif uh, from a game in Boston. Hayward going to the hoop for a dunk, and Mitchell coming in from behind, getting a piece of it and blocking it off the backboard. And remember it, yeah. J- Jacob sees it and says, that was the moment I moved on, and then some laughing emojis. Well, if you're going to compare the two, I'm pretty sure everybody would take Mitchell over Hayward anyway. Yep. Uh, my first thought was, uh, who? And then I saw your tweet and felt, well, I felt understood. Ha ha! It's got an owl looking sideways with who? And blinking. The blinking owl. Matt says, I'm thankful he left. He gave Donovan Mitchell space to be an all-star very quickly. I think Donovan would have ended up being an all-star anyway. But if he, if he made the transition more quickly... That's not a bad argument. There was a void there to be filled. 
Well, I think it set him up to develop quicker uh, because yeah. he was more of the focus at a younger age, probably. So I could see that line of thinking being correct. K-Pax, he's with you, PK. I don't care that he felt leaving was best for him. I do care how he did it. He will always be Gordon Coward. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's my issue, is that it was a messy departure, and you knew you were going to leave, and you, they could have just said, man, you guys were great to me. Thanks a lot, but I'm going to move on. And then what are they going to do? Uh, maybe it saved them from themselves. Maybe they would have spent some money on guys who – didn't pan out the wouldn't have pan out the way they wanted them. I mean, we'll never know. We can come up all different scenarios. But the fact is, he moved on, and the Jazz, uh, in somewhat of a surprise, but maybe it's not because maybe it's a credit to their management. They're better than they probably would have been. Give Nate the last word. Nate says, "No, period. Stomp his ass, Royce." <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, that's aggressive. That is aggressive. <laughs> And Royce is looking around like, how did I get into yeah, this Yeah, why, why are you dragging me into this? Well, you know, the thing with Royce is he often takes a large share of the time on the other yeah. team's best offensive weapon. But and he's, you know, when he takes a, some heat when he has to guard uh, a, essentially a one or a five, the six-foot yeah. guy who's real quick, or the guy who's got some real size. Sure. You know, hey, why don't you take the joker for your few possessions? It's kind of a mismatch. But, there's the famous, but when it's a two, three, four guy swinging before those yeah. positions, he usually does well. So Nate might get his wish. We have the famous gif of, of Gordon getting blocked by Donovan. Yeah. So. Yep. Yeah, we've already had people send that to us this morning. So, All right, we are out of time. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the Super Bowl, the Jazz games uh, tonight, 5 o'clock the pregame, 6 o'clock the game here on The Zone, and then uh, 11 a.m. Sunday morning, Super Bowl Sunday, and then uh, you'll have the Super Bowl at 4.30. We're preempted. Network programming. PK and I will be back on Talking Sports a week from a Sunday. Enjoy your Sunday night off. Uh, hit that Coke Zero hard, PK. Hit it hard. Okay, will do, man. Pepperoni pizza for – oh, no, you don't put pepperoni in your pizza, do you? You can't put toppings not, on no. it, Jersey guy. All right, well, pepper, thing. pepperoni for me. All right, we'll see you uh, back here Monday morning on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.